This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning, everyone. This is Jeff Simpson covering for Dr. Matt, who is out sick today. This is the Matt Townsend Show, nonetheless. And uh, he'll be missed, but uh, he will be re- uh, returning tomorrow. Ah, what a beautiful Tuesday morning it is. We've got some great topics coming up on the show today, including uh, we'll be continuing the discussion on fake news. Still a problem. Hasn't gone away. We're going to be talking about uh, a problem that uh, could be... For It could be a problem for one in four men that you wouldn't normally think is a problem for men. And they may have found a solution. Yes, hopefully, because I read it and I got scared that uh, I'm probably going to end up with that yeah. disease. Yes, and then, of course, uh, it's a Tuesday, so we'll be speaking with Dr. Ron Hager, who will be bringing some guests with him today. He's our health evangelist. He's going to bring in two people who have made the choice to make healthy choices and kind of change their life. I mean, a lot of people will do like the lip service of, yeah, I tried to eat healthy and all this. But these people actually did it, and they're going to talk about how it changed their life. Usually, you know, we have somebody in there who does that every day, Matt Townsend, who, uh, you know, is always looking for the latest and greatest as long as it doesn't involve too much effort on his part. Yes, I believe yesterday the weight loss by hot tub was his latest <laughs> thought of health. It's a nice idea. Eh. If only. I don't know how effective it is. Yeah, if only we could take one of our favorite activities and make that a weight-losing activity. So on the uh, the first story this hour about fake news that we were talking about, last week I shared a story about a girl found in the uh, some jungle area of India and how That's she was right. with those monkeys. Remember that? Yeah. Kind of the jungle book story? Mm-hmm. Fake news. Oh. That, was, that, that story was debunked through uh, more reporting. Yeah. There was the initial report and then later on like, oh, no, no, no. She was just – it's actually really a sad story. <laughs> but she uh, mm. was not being raised by monkeys. Maybe I should bring that up with our guest because it seems like – Maybe that says something about us, like we want to believe oh, in these yeah. inspirational stories. Well, you want the Jungle Book story. Yeah. You want that to be real. And oh, well. I remember when I was, uh, when I, we talked about the movie Rudy a few weeks back, and I was disappointed to find out that uh, people didn't actually chant Rudy when he entered the game. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> the movies, I watched uh, over the weekend the movie Sully. Oh, yeah. And, it's uh, a good one. The whole movie basically shows you the the this antagonistic review process by the National Fl- uh, Travel Safety Board or whatever as they're reviewing the accident and they're trying to tell him that landing on the Hudson was the wrong decision. You should have flown back to the airport. You totally could have made it. He's like, right. no, I'm behind. You know, I'm sitting in the cop. I'm flying this airplane. There's no way that airplane would have made it to an airport. I made the only decision possible. And they're like, no, you did it wrong. And Apparently, the level of antagonistic back and forth and the way the NTSB was actually going after Sully was dramatized for the movie. 
<sighs> they were just trying to figure out could this have been possible. It wasn't like we were accusing you of doing something. He saved all those people's lives. Yeah. Well, it's tough so, to make an hour and a half movie right. and <laughs> really dramatic when you know the outcome, first of all. And then secondly, you know, really but nobody was disputing well, that this guy was you, a hero. You, you can't take a governmental <laughs> hearing and yeah. make that interesting. So you have to have some sort of good guy, bad guy thing going on. So. All of that considered, though, I, it was a pretty good movie. I liked it. Um, the story about the girl in India kind of reminded me of a, a movie that we watched the other night called Pete's Dragon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that, not even close to being true. Not, not but, true, dragons. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's cool, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my daughter was a little traumatized. Um, not so much from the dragon because it was a friendly dragon, but uh, I think the whole... The parents dying at the beginning of the film yes. was a little too much for her. Right. So afterwards, we had a little chat with each other, and we're like, yeah, we need to do better as parents. <laughs> well, my my wife's, like, we're talking about uh, there's some, like, Guardians of the Galaxy-type movie yeah. coming out, and my son's really excited for it, even though he's never actually seen the first movie. And he's like, he's asking me yesterday, he goes, Dad, can I see that movie? And I go, ah, I don't know. There's some big monsters in it, and... He does better when the instead of the big monster being like, you know, 20 feet tall in the movie theater, small on her TV. He seems, you know, it's better. No problem. But taking him into a, a situation like that, we went and saw Jungle Book yeah. with my kid. He was scared yeah. of the ti- of the tiger in there. Oh, very realistic. The yeah. That. He reached over, grabbed my hand. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? He goes, I'm scared. I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it never really clicked in my head that. I was thinking, oh, you know, Jungle Book. It's this cartoon I saw when I was a kid. Oh, well, this is live action. This is going to be different. It yeah. never really clicked that way. But so he you was didn't, okay. You didn't tell him to just man up? No. <laughs> I, I, I went, come over here. He just sat on my lap and we watched the movie. It was fine. But it's just, you know, those those moments where you have to kind of gauge your child and see what level right. they're probably ready for when it comes to a live action situation like that. Oh. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about more about fake news here in just a minute with our guest. But uh, first, let's get to the news around or what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry, what's going on? Police have identified Cedric Anderson as the shooter in a Monday morning murder-suicide in a San Bernardino, California elementary school. Anderson, 53, was believed to have entered the school seeking his estranged ex-wife, Karen Smith, a teacher at the school. In her classroom, Anderson opened fire, striking Smith and two children before shooting himself. One of the children whom the police have identified as 8-year-old Jonathan Martinez died after being transported to a hospital. The other child, an unnamed 9-year-old, is still alive. All other students were unharmed, and the school uh, was evacuated. It is closed today as they are continuing to investigate. Mm. Uh, when asked Monday why the Trump administration was willing to bomb Syria but not help refugees, White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer insisted that the uh, Syria strike ordered by President Trump late Thursday was a humanitarian effort respect to the people of Syria, uh, by us taking action um, and de-escalating what's going on in Syria, that's the greatest thing you can do to support those people. Uh, De-escalating the conflict there, containing ISIS, um, is the greatest aspect of humanitarian relief that we can provide first and foremost. Secondly, uh, creating areas in which we can um, work with allies, including Russians, and committing to ensuring that there are places that don't that are free from violence and are places of free for people to gather uh, safely is another because um, I think everyone would agree that the last thing that people want to do there is leave. They want to stay there. They want to be in Syria. They want to have a p- safe place to remain with their families and not be separated. But at the moment, 
thousands have tried to leave crossing the Mediterranean in boats and right. seven, you know, hundreds have died doing that. So yeah. is there a better way? I don't know. But trying to that's, – that's, that's a big uh, – effort there to try to take a missile strike and make it a humanitarian effort it just i don't know we'll see where that goes spicer said if we see this kind of action again we will hold we will hold open the possibility of future action leaving the option of further strikes on the table he mentioned barrel bombs where syria flies a helicopter over an area of the city and rolls a barrel of explosives out wow and just blow stuff up that's yeah so they said if that happens, they'll do something, but that's not really what they've said before. So we'll see what the Trump administration hmm. goes further with this. The U.S. Department of Transportation is investigating a Monday incident in which a 69-year-old man was forcibly dragged from an overbooked United Airlines plane. Have you seen this video? I've heard about it, yeah. yeah it's a little crazy. The Department of Transportation reviewing the involuntary denied boarding of passengers from a United flight uh, what, 3411 to determine whether the airline complied with the oversale rule, the department said Monday. While it is legal for airlines to involuntarily bump passengers from an oversold flight when there are not enough volunteers, it is an airline's responsibility to determine its own fare boarding policies. Passenger cell phone footage shows security officers pulling an elderly man from his seat to the floor where he was dragged off the plane, apparently unconscious. The text here leaves out the part where they bounced his head off an armrest, which probably left him bloody. You see pictures of him bleeding from the face later. Later footage shows the man, as it says, bleeding from the face. The video of the violent incident on the United Airlines plane in Chicago was sparked outrage in China after a witness reported that the elderly man who was dragged off the aircraft may have been targeted because he was Chinese. Mm-hmm. Could be Chinese. He, he has not been identified. There is a point where he acts after they drag him off, he comes back on the plane. And as he's running, all he's saying is, I must go home. I must go home. Oh. So you're like, oh, boy. Yikes. <laughs> the video has been viewed on Chinese social media 190 million times. See, this is just a lesson to everybody. If you have the opportunity to get bumped, you'd be crazy not to take it up because they, they put you up in a hotel. They usually give you several hundred dollars worth of travel vouchers. Right. It says uh, a Chicago aviation security officer is on leave pending a review of the situation. It wasn't the Chicago police. It was security within the air, air, airport that went on the plane to remove the guy. The passenger at the center of the United uh, debacles reportedly randomly selected for bumping after nobody volunteered for a hotel and flight voucher for $800. Three other selected passengers left the plane as instructed to make room for four members of a United flight crew. They had people that needed to get to Louisville to fly another plane so they had four mm. they needed four seats four people have to get off this guy didn't want to go so they decided to physically grab him and drag him off the plane aviation experts say that the incident isn't normal it's not, yeah. what, it's not what you do maybe you raise the price maybe a thousand dollars instead of 800 i would i Sweet would hate deal. to have been the guy that had to randomly select people and then to see that 69 year old man and be like oh shoot this is not gonna end well right if he even knew because <sighs> yeah. I, I mean they as he was running down the aisle saying, I must go home, it didn't sound as if he had a command of the English language. So See, I don't know if that was, there's man. a language barrier issue. I don't know what the, the situation is there. At that point, you you would hope that there'd be a good Samaritan out there, too, that would just be like, okay, I will, I'll get bumped. I'll right. go. Just let this guy go home. Yeah, it's so bad. So we'll oh. see what happens. And finally, some 7,200 gallons of concentrated Mountain Dew syrup 
created listening. a huge foaming event. It's called a huge foaming event, which okay. doesn't sound good. Okay. And generated environmental concerns after it went down the drain literally at the Pepsi bottling plant in Howell, Michigan last month. The State Department of Environmental Quality in Michigan was at the plant on several occasions after a tank ruptured and sent the syrup through a floor drain and into the plant's internal sewage system March 10th. The large spill caused concern because the high sugary syrup can be a to- have a toxic effect on aquatic life if it ends up in rivers, lakes, or streams. The uh, department received a call to its pollution emergency alert system line just before midnight on March 12th when the syrup mixed with a large amount of wastewater already in the system created a, quote, large, foamy, or huge foaming event and sent an estimated 56,000 gallons of sugary sewage flowing out of the system. Oh, my goodness. No word on any hyperactive, hyperactive over-caffeinated fish, but could okay. be a concern. So my theory on this... I believe it. maybe it was a simulation of what can happen to your internal organs if you drink Mountain Dew. Possibly a huge foaming <laughs> event. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of raw Mountain Dew yeah. that you have to get rid of. But you can imagine that gets into the water. It's not good. Yeah. Man, I really feel for that for the man on that flight. It's you watch the video; it's pretty bad. They they drag him out of his seat, and then his head sort of bounces off the head the uh, armrest across the aisle, and then they drag him down the aisle. He just lays there as they drag him down. The, it's like wow. Good Seriously, job, though, Airlines. my my family we make a point out of trying to get bumped from a flight. Mm-hmm. Like I know that there are some people out there that will book a flight. At a specific time on a specific day, knowing pretty, feeling pretty confident that they'll be able to get bumped from that flight right. to get the the vouchers. So it seems like a missed opportunity, and it, it that's just a sad story for well, that guy. Not if you need to get home, <laughs> which this man clearly did. Yeah, he was really intent on going home, and so now. That's there internationally. It's as I said with China, it's not playing well because what what what. As as the uh, report I read talks about, the the government of China looks for these sort of incidences because we're constantly talking to them about their human rights abuses and problems and issues, and they like to point out all of ours. Look, the American hypocrites. Look what they're doing. Yeah, you know. So when we have unrest in the streets, when we have incidents like this, especially when it looks like the man may be of Chinese descent, and we're pulling him off the plane like a sack of potatoes. It's yeah, not, not a good look. So. And to be fair, I guess to the other passengers, it's possible that they needed to get home just as as, as much as he did, but maybe right. they just didn't express it the same way. And then just the, the the extra part of the story where you had four members of the United you know United employees that needed to yeah. get somewhere. So we're going to take four of you off the plane to make room for them because we have business to continue, even though we didn't like plan ahead to know that maybe they needed yeah. to be here. So. But I mean, is, I'm not sure how all that works, but it just seems kind of the it, whole story's bad. But then it becomes: do you, do we inconvenience four people, or do we inconvenience an entire airplane full of right. people on a different in a different uh, location? And as mm. the United uh, PR staff put it, they 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 apologize for the way that these uh, guests were reaccommodated. So the guy dragged down the aisle was reaccommodated. This sounds like an ethics class question. It is. Do you pull off a 69-year-old man from an airplane or do you inconvenience an entire plane full of people? Yeah, not sure. That's a tough one. Or do you, do you I don't know, figure another way to entice somebody else on the plane? Anybody <laughs> else, just not that guy. Maybe just delay the other flight. 
Could be. I I don't know. People, I mean, flights are delayed, so nobody's going to be surprised if your flight's delayed. Right. Mm. There's, so there's there's all options and things. We'll see where this goes because I don't know what they can do because it's within the right of the airline to do that kind of a thing, apparently. Maybe not. I didn't know not, that. Not in that way. Yeah. The way the Department of Transportation put it was there are rules, but we'll see. We'll have to review it to see if they did it correctly. But at the same time, what are you going to do next time you go to fly? Are you going to boycott United? Yeah. Jimmy, hmm. Jimmy Kimmel last night on his show goes, you, you hop on. You're going you're gonna to get a, a plane ticket somewhere. You're going to see four airlines in a row. You're going to pick the one that's $1 cheaper. If that's United, you're there. Sure. You're not going to sit Absolutely. back and go, wait, I'm going to stand on my morals. No, you're just going to get your <laughs> cheap ticket and go. <laughs> it's all about the money, folks. That's what we've learned here today. And it's so true. We do it every day on Amazon, eBay, and when we're shopping for flights. We're willing to uh, bring a backpack as our luggage, as long as it means we get to save a couple of bucks on the airfare. Well, we'll take a a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get back to that topic we were discussing earlier, fake news. It's still very much a problem, and uh, hopefully our next guest can help us figure out how we cannot be duped by it. When we return, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who's out sick today. (sighs) You know, fake news and alternative facts make it hard for us to decide what is true and what is false. The former gatekeepers of the news, radio stations, uh, newspapers, and broadcast stations are out of the limelight. Today, you are the one that decides which information and misinformation spreads and what doesn't. Here to speak to us today on fake news is Ali Colon, a professor of media ethics at Washington and Lee University. Uh, professor Colon, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thank you very much. So this is obviously a topic that has been in the news quite frequently, you know, especially with the, the recent election and the results there. Um, why is this still a problem today, especially with all of the the coverage that fake news is getting in the news? Biblical times, and so information comes about, and how we respond to it. So even when we get true information, it is not always easy, especially today. I think because of the volume of information to discern what is true and what is not, and our inclination is to feel comfortable uh, with that source of information or information in general to be true. And that we cannot do any longer and successfully understand what's really going on. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's as long as I remember, you know, this fake news and misinformation, it's it's been around for a long, long time. I remember on the playground, you know, Kids would spread misinformation about movies that were coming out, and I just I've I've never understood why on earth are there so many people 
that feel the need to spread this misinformation. I, I know that there is a problem with, with a person being a pathological liar, but I know that not everybody that spreads this fake news is a pathological liar. So how long has this been a problem, and, and how do you differentiate between somebody that's, you know, just a flat-out liar versus somebody that's just, you know, spreading misinformation? Well, you know, it's actually much harder than we might think, uh, because we can be beguiled and sort of turned in a particular direction. I mean, as I say, when I say biblical times, you think of the biblical story of Adam and Eve, and, you know, and uh, what did the devil say to Eve? Did, uh, do you think you would really die, you know? Right, and they yeah. And not die, in fact, when they had information already to the contrary. And yet this happens. And so I think it's, it's kind of a, it's a natural inclination uh, among many people, not all, to want to, in effect, welcome news the way it is, the way we might welcome a stranger, right? Uh, and if we don't know the person, then we may or may not, depending on our disposition, be wondering, you know, what it is that's going on or think that it's true. But it's even, frankly, more difficult sometimes with people we trust. And I mean trust in sort of a big sense, not a personal sense. And so if we're going on to information sources and they are saying this is going on, then our first inclination is to think it might be true. And if it fits with our preconceived notions of the world, then we're more likely to believe that. And so today, again, as I mentioned, I think in part, this whole flood of information is increasing the issue rather than decreasing it. Mm, So basically, you know, we may want to believe that it's true when we're seeing it. Um, Tell us, give us a little bit of history on, you know, the evolution of, of fake news, because obviously the the outlet for fake news has changed over the years. And, and today, and we'll talk about this in a second, because you mentioned in your article here, technology is playing a huge role in fake news. So give us a little bit of a, of a background uh, behind the history of, of the evolution of, of fake news. Well, we can go back again quite a bit. I, mean, uh, I used the example in my article about Octavian and Marcus Aurelius to succeed Caesar after they'd murdered him, by the way. Uh, and what the history shows is Octavian spread news about Marcus Aurelius, which was false. And as a result of that false news, he became, Octavian, the new Caesar. So the question becomes, first of all, you know, why did Octavian do this? Well, he had a particular purpose in mind. And why did others believe it? And that comes from either a lack of checking things out or wanting to believe the information. We could go down through uh, history and even our own history with Thomas Jefferson. You know, at some point, even though he is lauded for being someone who supports free press and free speech, he said that it was nothing that you can believe in the newspapers of his day. Uh, So what we're dealing with, again, is is a history from long-standing time that has people who want to either do it by, in an amusing way, they may tell you a joke and a fake story and see if you'll believe it, or in a more uh, serious way, actually want to turn you toward information that they believe will have you think the way they do. And the other problem with that, of course, is that once that happens, it begins to make you wonder what is and what isn't true. 
Yeah, and I love this quote that you include in your article here from, uh, it looks like it's Tom Rosensteel. The goal of fake news is not to make people believe the lie, it is to make them doubt all news. Exactly, exactly. And and then, you know, what we do is, um, you know, the, the old saying about throwing the baby out with the bathwater, we begin to say, oh, all of this we cannot trust. And then we deal with another issue that... Who can we trust? And that is where today, I believe, it becomes more important for all of us to take some responsibility to understand what it is that we are imbibing when it comes to news. So um, talk to us before we get into what we can do to safeguard ourselves from from buying into these fake news stories. Tell us um, maybe a little bit about the different... uh, mindsets behind pushing this fake news onto other people. I mean, obviously, we know that politicians will use it to their advantage for various purposes. But what what about just everyday citizens, aside from, you know what, I really want somebody to buy into my way of thinking? What are some other reasons that, that just everyday regular citizens might be spreading fake news? Is it possible that they don't know that they're doing it? Sometimes I think in general, that's probably what's happening, that most people are getting it secondhand, like hearing stories that are, seem fantastic, right? And, and yet we want to believe them. There is, as I think most recently, the young girl found raised by monkeys, you know. Right. Takes us back to a story about Roger Kipling Dan in the Jungle Book. And there's this, there is something in us. Uh, that's not a bad thing, but it is a thing that yearns for something more than what we have in this world. And when we hear something or read something or watch something that taps into that yearning, we have almost a childlike desire to believe. I mean, one of the great things I think about being a child is the imagination that we have, the creativity that we have. But, uh, you know, as Paul said, you can't, you know, once I spoke as a child and now I'm an adult, you have to move forward in thinking about what it is that you're dealing with. And so this idea that becomes, you know, our desire to it, and on the other end, there are people who, some of them are just practical jokers, they like to see if they can con people, and other ones have, there's a monetary benefit, by the way. Uh, You may have read about uh, the alumnus from... uh, Duke, who wrote a fake news story based on politics, who got paid $5,000, and he said he used the money to pay off his student loans. Wow. None of it was true, uh, and he sold it. And there are a lot of websites and writers today that will make things up, that they take the kernel of truth, so you're, you're attached to that, and then they wrap it around with fabrication. And it, it, it feeds them financially. I mean, there's a whole team of Macedonian teenagers that send out fake news things. And people, again, you have to, we all have to be careful about what it, how we respond to things, because we have a natural inclination in some areas to want to believe certain things and from certain people or from certain sources that sometimes, even if we like and we respect the people, I think it may be helpful just to ask some questions about where they get the information, because they may not know that they're passing on fake news. 
Right. You, you know, at, I, here's a question for you. Are there is there one specific source that is to blame? I mean, we see tabloids at the supermarket. You know, there's the the Onion online, and mm-hmm. you know, Saturday Night Live, and right. or is it a group effort? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, um, we do want to be able to distinguish what is satire and what are jokes. And what are, uh, you know, what used to be, by the way, an April Fool's Day, and now most people, from what I understood, sort of stayed away from it uh, this year just because of the issue with, uh, you know, fake news and worry that anything they might say might in fact be fake and therefore people might take it as true. So it's... um, I think these times, uh, you know, are not easy, and that's why I I talked about sort of that equation of volume plus velocity equals volatility, and it was a sense that we're we're caught up in a situation that is far more, uh, you know, serious in some ways, and so much faster, and so much bigger, relative to what we are. It's not easy to make that distinguishing situation come alive. Now, Ali, obviously, you know, we can see some of the negative effects of of buying into these fake news stories, you know, whether it be it creates a, a prejudice within us or it, you know, affects the, the way that we vote, which, you know, has bigger implications right there. Right. Um, but what about... What about stories, fake news stories like the one that you mentioned that are that are a little more inspiring? Is it a bad thing for us to buy into these fake news stories that maybe uh, make us want to believe that that people are good and and decent and and these inspiring stories that make us feel good are those just as dangerous or are they is there a benefit to be had there? I think in some ways they're more dangerous. Not because we don't want to feel good, and not because there aren't stories that inspire us and cause us to want to be better. But when we find that the reality has been unmasked of what it is we're believing, I think it makes us less likely to trust anyone and more likely to disbelieve everyone. And so there, I think, plenty of true stories that are out that out there that can be factually checked and factually based that can inspire us and help us move ahead and cause us to want to do better things but when we find ourselves in effect tricked or deceived and we come across people who've experienced that you can see even in their countenance is different when they're listening to anyone and their reluctance to take the information in becomes greater and I think quite naturally so. So the idea that uh, we can make people feel better by telling them a lie is sometimes ingrained in people who do this in different circumstances. The challenge is if that circumstance leads to an uncovering the lie will turn to to sand or to dirt, and it will feel like gravel in one's mouth. You know, I, at first I was really kind of surprised when you said that this could be even more dangerous. But then as you continued speaking, I, I thought of 
examples like Lance Armstrong, you know, this idea of this fallen hero that we've, you know, he's created this charity that people have donated millions of dollars to, you know, aspiring athletes have looked up to him. And uh, yeah, we, we saw what happened there. So that's, yeah, I can, I can see that point now. Yeah. It's, It's not like we don't want to be caught up in fantasy and enjoy, you know, the the differences that are going on. It's that we have to think about uh, what it is that, uh, you know, it's going to result in, right? And uh, is going to cause us to think about differently. And, well, you can just remember this. There are people that you trust, and you trust them implicitly because of the way they've treated you, because of the information that they've given you has been borne out to be true. So when that happens, if something turns in that regard, what is it that happens to you? How do you think about that person? And you can think through history, through politics, through literature, through uh, medicine. You can take any field. And when you suddenly realize, take your own, you know, your own, uh, take our faith field, what we believe, if we go and find out that what we're being taught, what will, co- what will that cause us to feel like and also cause us to react like? And that's part of the challenge that comes there. Well, Ali, let's do this. Let's uh, go ahead and take a break. When we come back, I'm hoping that uh, we can talk a little bit more about what we can do to safeguard ourselves against these fake news stories that are so prevalent today. His name is Ali Cologne, and he is a professor of media ethics at Washington and Lee University. And we'll continue the discussion with him when we return. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're speaking with Ali Cologne, who is a professor of media ethics at Washington and Lee University. Cologne has a long background in news and journalism ethics, most recently serving as director of standards and practices at NBC News. And we have been talking about fake news. And uh, Ali, before we went to the break, we uh, we teased that we would come back with some solutions on what we can do to safeguard ourselves against these fake news stories. And in your article, you, t- you describe uh, three steps that we can take as consumers to combat fake news. So let's, let's start with those. What are those three things? Well, the first thing I encourage is to check out the sources of information. Um, you know, this is important because even when people who you know or you believe you know are telling you something, you want to check out then the source of their information so you have a sense. And when you're reading them, you know, writers have their own perspectives. Someone offers, I say, a balanced view. Someone advocate for something else. And others just outright want to deceive you. So you need to know the who or the what of the source and check them out. And you can do that by, you know, doing a little background work on them. It's not as much work as we think it is. But as you do that, you'll have a sense of where are they coming from? And that will help. You know, you can check Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, and see how that information that they give you is important. The other one is check out the information. 
you know, does it corroborate with what other people are writing, viewing, or hearing? And there are different places like Snopes and PolitiFact and FactCheck.org. And there may be others, there are plenty of others, too, that you can use to sort of find out, gee, that sounds a little odd. Is this true? And these sites will help you find out if that's true, and that'll give you another background. Um, and then there's, you got to be, we have to be aware of our own biases. We have a, you know... A, an inclination to think a certain way and believe certain things. That's not a bad thing, but we need to be aware of it. So if someone tells us something that's contrary to what we tend to believe, our initial inclination is not to believe it, is not to accept it. And that's not a bad inclination, but it is one that we should also address and say, okay, maybe we should check it out to make sure that we're not filtering that information that we may need because it just doesn't fit with our worldview. And the truth is, look, you know, people have a situation where they'll only believe what they want to believe. We can't change people's minds. Only they can do it. So that means it's incumbent upon us to do our research in a way that helps us understand our confirmation bias and to counter that by willing to be willing people who are different. I have some new ones that I've come up with since I did a course on this uh, fake news one. And I tell people also to talk to librarians if you want to know research. They're very good at checking things out. And you can ask people you trust to share information they have verified. We've also learned in a recent study that basically the person who shares the information is actually more important than the people who produce it and more trusted. So if you're going to share, you're going to repost, retweet, you know, send it on by email, make sure you check it out first because you may be passing on bad information. And the people will trust you if they care about you and, and believe in you. You can form a news check group. So if you get together, you know, to play bridge, why don't you get together and do a news check? I know that's a bit extreme, but <laughs> it'd be a lot more fun if you said, did you hear the story about so-and-so? No, what did you hear? You know what I mean? I mean, the people do this all the time. Yeah. They do it informally. And then research, you know, basically what you read online, uh, because it will give you a better sense of what it is you should believe. Allie, these are all wonderful, great ideas. It seems, too, that... Uh not being prideful would be another important thing that you could do and i'm not i'm not saying this is this is definitely what what has happened with president trump but it seems like there are a lot of people that would say that you know president trump will continue to hold on to these to these uh, truths quote unquote that are clearly not true and i don't know if that's pride or if that's just a political strategy but it seems like we just as consumers could also do well from from not being so prideful and when we learn new information that something we thought was wrong or that we, that we thought was true before is wrong that uh, we should be open to that and willing to admit that we were wrong I think it's important. Uh, I say this for journalists because I've been a journalist a long time. Uh, you, when you think you're getting the information first and more comprehensively, you know more than other people. But what I have always reminded myself, and I've lived in a lot of different places in the world, and uh, I would move every year to. I was an Army brat, so I grew up uh, transferring regularly that for that year or two, I came to learn what was going on. And then I'd moved to a new place, and I was a village idiot again. And I had no clue what was going on. And I had to rely on the people in that new community to teach me, 
to alert me, to guide me, to inform me so that I could understand what was going on there. So, and the way I did it was to be humble. I had to be humble about what it is that I know and who I am. Does that mean that I swallow everything that comes down the pike, that I believe everything that I'm told? Not at all. You know, there's a, there's a phrase in, um, for journalists that is a bit severe, but it, it sort of points out the point. It says, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. Now, <laughs> it, it seems hard, but the fact is, if you've watched your mother take care of you, you know why you think she's so special. Right. But if you don't see that, then you may wonder, is it true or not? And and so it's it's that very saying is because if there's one thing that journalists are going to revere and believe it is their mother. And so if they're going to ask questions, Mom, where did you get that? Mom, do you know where that happened? Mom, is this, you know, can I really believe this? And generally she says yes. I mean, especially as children, we're there, right? But we it's not about being suspicious. It's not about being distrustful. It's about being wise. And I think we've been given a gift of wisdom when we choose to use it and a gift of humility when we understand we are not the source of all knowledge. Well, Ali, we really, really appreciate your insight here on the show today. You've given us, you know, this is a topic that we've covered uh, a number of times on the show, but I think you've given us some ideas that we may not have considered before that uh, will be very useful to us. So thank you very much. His name is Ali Colon, and he is a professor of media ethics at Washington and Lee University. He was also assigned to Telemundo Network News, the second largest Spanish language network in the United States, and was responsible for applying ethical decision making to the news operation, providing ethics training to reporters and producers and reviewing scripts, video and digital news coverage. And uh, we've been honored to have him here on the show this morning. So, folks, check it out. Check out the information you're given. Check out the source. Be aware of your biases. And uh, don't be prideful. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to continue the fun here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll return soon. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We just uh, finished with speak, uh, speaking with Ali Cologne, a professor at Lee University, who was talking to us about fake news. And nobody knows more about fake news than Hollywood, um, because they're in the business of putting out something that is not real. And uh, yesterday, there was quite a bit of excitement in the producer booth, because Terry South was watching... The Thor Ragnarok trailer that just came out, and uh, we, we were actually trying to get a guest on the air, <laughs> make phone calls, you know, do the work of the show. I didn't. I wasn't I saying was you're distracted. not doing the work, but uh, yeah, all of a sudden was, they're like, "Hey, we need I'll to get somebody it. on." And I'm like, "Oh, wait, sorry." <laughs> distracted. Yeah. Well, uh, from what I've heard from uh, from people that have watched it. They're very excited about this movie, Thor Ragnarok, that's you, coming have out. Have you not watched it? So I, I watched it yesterday. Oh, okay, good. Now, in full disclosure, I've only seen the first Thor. I did not see Thor The Dark World or yeah, whatever okay. it was yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard that I don't need to see it. That's like probably the worst of all the Marvel movies. So no, I told I you. It, I'm sorry. So. Did you not see the first Hulk movie? <laughs> that one doesn't. They, they sort of. They don't even acknowledge that one. Yeah, it's part of it, but they don't really acknowledge it. So it's pretty bad. But so okay, fine. So it's like the second worst. So 
before or during the break, Terry, we talked about uh, – I, I was – I had to clarify because I, I think I told you I had a complaint with the trailer. You, but it's, you, you called it a beef. It, I, I did. But then I realized it was more of an observation. Oh, so inflammatory language. Gotcha. So I think we can all agree that <laughs> Fake news. the Thor movies are on the weaker end of the spectrum of the MCU, right? The ones that they have made, yes. Okay. Though I love the first one. Now – That's just me. People got very excited when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. It was something new. It was something different. A lot of people were comparing it to Star Wars, just like this loosey-goosey attitude and just rough and tough. And right. Sean has an opinion on that. Well, I, have a th- I do have a theory on that. I think it's because they were lesser-known characters in the, in the universe. Okay. And people didn't know about them. They didn't, they didn't have any expectations for those characters whatsoever. And, and they brought them out in such a way that was really spectacular and it and it just drew people in, right? And people love misfits, deeply exactly. flawed characters, yeah. which is one of yeah. the reasons I'm not as much of a fan of Captain America as a lot of people are. But mm. uh, let me get back to my train of thought, mm-hmm. or has that train already gone? Um, <laughs> it okay. left the station longer. So, ago. Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. huge success. Uh-huh. They're making a ride at Disneyland. They're making a sequel that everybody's really excited about. It's yep. going to be connected to the rest of the films in the MCU. We all know this. Yes, yes. What I noticed about Thor Ragnarok, the trailer, is that they're trying very hard to make it look and feel and seem like a Guardians of the Galaxy film. I think this one might be like that, though, because this is this is going to be full of action, a lot more action right. than the other two Thor movies had, I believe. Well, you know, in that first one was directed by Kenneth Branagh and had Anthony Hopkins in it, so it was very Shakespearean and, and serious. This one looks like it's going to be very much of that rough and loose attitude that uh, or feel that Guardians of the Galaxy had. And, you know, even in the in the marketing for it and even in the casting of Jeff Goldblum, the really unconventional mm-hmm. casting, it looks like they're trying to snatch on to some of the success that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy had. Do you agree with that? Not if you've read some of the Thor comics because they have a variety of – Yeah. You know, they're not dealing with just humans. They're dealing with aliens because Asgard is a for, is an alien world. Now, I'll grant right? you that because that's that's closer to the they, Guardians of the well, Galaxy universe than the other films they are. It's true. They haven't embraced that with the Thor mythology from the comics, mm-hmm. not from the actual Norris mythology. But they haven't really embraced that, the fact that there are just a lot of aliens. Like the second movie, they went after – they had the Dark Elves, which are just kind of weird Dark Elves, but they're flying around in spaceships, you know? So, yeah. I mean, there's – But they're also from another world. Right. And in, so this sort of intergalactic you know. sort of concept is there. So I don't know if that's – You had the ice giants in the first one. Right. So this might just – the real probably critique is that they're trying to mash a Hulk story hmm. into a Thor story because they can't figure out how to make a Hulk movie. So they'll just pair them up because they're buddies and they're going to fight. Well, to me, I, you know? it, when, I saw, when I saw the big guy – yeah. In the in that trailer, it was just like, oh, that's where he went because he left after the last Avengers. Yeah. But yeah. What, what they're doing, there's this whole t- uh, storyline in the comics of it's called World War Hulk. Yes. Right. So the people of Earth, all the heroes get tired of cleaning up after Hulk, so they put him on a spaceship, fire him off to what they think is an inha- uninhabited planet. What they find out is it's actually inhabited, and, and he becomes like the king. There's, there's this game that happens on there where there's a coliseum and everybody fights because everyone likes to watch. He takes over, and then the, whoever is the the champion is the king, and so Hulk yep. takes over a planet, 
And, and you know, Tony Stark, who kind of had this whole plan to let's ship him off to a planet where he's not going to be a problem, is like, great, it backfired. Now he's – well, this whole arc of Hulk is hard to put into a movie, so they're trying to incorporate Thor to yeah. make it a – because people want a Hulk movie, but they can't do it because Hulk doesn't really talk. Hulk kind of grunts and breaks stuff. So don't it's don't to, get me wrong. I Hulk think it. Smash. I right. think it'll be good. I think anything you can do to make it, you know, like an Ant Man or a Guardians right. of the Galaxy, where they're different from let's just fight and fight and fight for two hours. Yeah. I think is a good thing. I'm just saying. I'm making an observation. But why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? You have success in this other movie. Why wouldn't you try to continue that in some another movie? Yeah, that's fine. And I, I like that it's different. But, but I'm just saying. The, here comes the butt. I'm just you saying. Hear it like ramping up. You, you can almost tell that they're not pleased with the way that the first two films went. Well, of course not. Because they, they're they're trying to they're trying to basically reboot Thor. Right. Without recasting, and you know, they're just changing the feel of it yeah. in order to make it oh, more they're just, popular. They're just cutting his hair. They cut his hair. That's just another example. You know, let's cut his hair. That's another thing we can do to change it. And tell me, casting Jeff Goldblum isn't something that they would have done in Guardians of the Galaxy. If you see the character that he's playing, he's perfect. He, it's perfect for the character he is playing. I will end by saying this. All you have to do is say Jeff Goldblum is in this movie, and I'm, I'm in. Okay. And I think if you're an American or if you're a human being, that can be that can be true of anybody. It's going to depend on the movie for me <laughs> if I go see I it, will say uh, don't go see Independence Day 2. Yeah. The first one's much better than the, that one. All right. Well, I think uh, we've come to the conclusion that I'm right. <laughs> and there's no time left, so we're going to take a break and we'll return. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. It's the part of the show that Terry South... Our wonderful producer likes to call opening exercises. Yes, it's the opening exercises <laughs> of the show. And uh, we're also joined by Sean O'Neill, who rescued us on the board here this morning because I was making all sorts of mistakes. Anyway, just a little peek yeah, behind I, the curtain. And I'm perfect. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dr. Matt is out sick today, but he will return tomorrow. Yeah, not going to say why he's sick. Sure he will. He's just out. But uh, let's just say what happened to him, I hope. I don't even want to make a joke about it because I hope it never, ever happens to me. Drink more water. Drink more water. Oh, boy. Um, so, yeah. We, uh, I, I think we, we came to a uh, understanding that uh, criticisms of the Thor movie trailer is just inacceptable. <laughs> you just no, don't I do thought it. We, I 12 thought, million views on this thing in 24 hours. I thought we established that I was right. No. But I think that was... By default, because we ran out of time. Well. And I had the last word. No. Although Sean got a, a scoff in there. Yeah. Mm. Again. I didn't I, realize ex- that was Kate Blanchett in there. <laughs> yes. I, didn't, I yeah. didn't recognize her. Again, I'll go see it. I'm not a hater. In fact. I, I'm going to have to watch it again today now. <laughs> I, I think it looks good. Mm. Uh, but after, I, I do. After th- you've just been no, time criticizing, I just, it's fine. It's I fine. made an observation yeah. mm-hmm. that maybe they're trying to duplicate the success yep. of Guardians of the Galaxy because the other two you, films you didn't can't do as just well. Watch something and enjoy what they're presenting. There's always like, well, but there's just one thing. 
I've seen way too many movies for that, I'm afraid. There are people complaining (laughs) that the armor that the Hulk is wearing isn't true to the comic book, and therefore they're protesting this movie. See, now that bothers I don't even know if that's true. My question is, why does the Hulk need armor? Because it's... You know, tradition. Yeah, why not? It's in the comics. I I am all for creative license and <laughs> changing on the roof and the Hulk. There you yeah, go. <laughs> I'm all for changing little details like that. Case in point, I just watched a film for the first time the other day Ooh. called "And Then There Were None," which is based on an Agatha Christie yes. novel, and uh, it's been done again and again and again over Many the years. Times. And to me, as somebody who's, if I were to have read the book. I would want to go see the movie and maybe see something a little different, especially in a movie that's a mystery. If you go to a mystery and you expect it to be exactly like the book, I feel like you're going to be disappointed because you'll know exactly what's coming up and what character is the culprit. And yeah, but so, just, okay. Uh-oh. Now you started Uh-oh. an argument. Oh no, because I love to compare books to movies. Okay, this is this is a hobby of mine. Yes. Um, and I love it when the movie is very, very true to the book. I think it's. I think it. It pays tribute to the author, and I, I don't care that I know that the, what ha, what is happening in the story. Um, the worst example of this is actually the Hunger Games. I think mm. the first Hunger Games movie did not match the book very well at all. I kind of see it sometimes that they can't pull off what's in the book. So you have most to, of the time you that's have the to case. adjust the content of the movie. Yes. And there uh, there's times where I've read the book which is rare that I've read a book before I see the movie <laughs> usually it's the other way. But when I, when that has happened you're like but you could have done it this way. Mhm. And I would have said, give it a try. Though I've seen some movies where they tried to do that, and you're like, oh, yeah, that yeah. looks so good. Sometimes so, it fails. Sometimes it fails, but it just kind of looked like a cop-out that you're just trying not to do something that's more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a question for you, though. Sure. Have you ever seen a movie that's been better than the book? Absolutely. What? Forrest Gump. Ooh. Jaws. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, but there, no. there, there are some moral... Not Jaws. Uh, with the book, I had a, a big problem with one of the characters making a very immoral decision. I agree. That So I could – thereafter could no longer root for that character. <laughs> that is an interesting part of the book. Yes. The, the one for me though is uh, Shawshank Redemption. Really? Yeah. Shawshank Redemption, the Stephen King story is actually only a short story. It's not – it's nowhere right. near got the, the, the uh, information that the movie has. Hmm. Or, or even the, the whole story that the movie has. It's got the basics, but... Yeah. So. But it was interesting how quickly you agreed with my Forrest Gump assessment. Yeah, I did agree with Forrest Gump. Mm. All right. So I think we've uh, established that we're all on the same page. What? <laughs> I didn't get that at all. I didn't I'm just trying to make to peace. Die, just Bryce. trying to make peace. By lying? By fake news? Sorry. Oh. I, think we've, I think we've established that we're all nerds is what we've really yeah. established. Well, there is that. On yeah. some level, yes. Terry. When it, when it comes to movies. Let's, uh, let's hear what's going on around the rest of the country. An eight-year-old student and his teacher were shot and killed when the teacher's estranged husband entered the, her classroom at North Park Elementary School in San Bernardino, California, Monday morning and opened fire. San Bernardino police said, uh, said Cedric Anderson, 53, checked in with the school authorities under the guise of having to drop something off for Karen Smith, his wife. He entered their special needs classroom with a large caliber revolver, opened fire without saying a word, police said, before they turned the gun on himself. A nine-year-old student remains hospitalized. San Bernardino police chief says there were 15 students for uh, from the first through the fourth grades in the classroom. 
as well as two adult aides. Russia has had advanced knowledge of last week's chemical attacks in Syria, senior U.S. officials have concluded. The attack killed dozens of civilians, including children, and prompted President Trump to order a retaliatory military strike on a Syrian airfield Thursday. Officials were initially unsure whether Russia or Syria operated the drone that flew over a hospital where victims of the chemical attack were being treated, but it is now believed it was controlled by Russia. An official told the Associated Press that the presence of the drone couldn't have been a coincidence and that Russia may have known the chemical weapons attack was coming and that victims were seeking treatment. Uh, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, will be in Moscow either today or the, you know, in the next couple of days here this week. And there was a meeting where he was going to meet with uh, President Putin, but that meeting has since been canceled. It's not on his itinerary, the official Kremlin spokesperson says. According to you, Terry, uh, President Putin probably does not like Marvel Comics movies. He, I, I don't see the guy enjoying <laughs> a lot of fun. He seems very grim, but then I, I'm only watching him at press conferences. And all Russians like hate long. Marvel Comics movies. Not necessarily. <laughs> That's because the characters all leave their shirts on. Well, that too. <laughs> um, Alabama Governor Robert Bentley was booked into Montgomery County Jail on two, two misdemeanor charges Monday evening, just hours after resigning from his post as governor. He is facing two uh, uh, failure to disclose misdemeanors for which he faces a $600 bond. Bentley has been the center of a growing scrutiny for 13 months after a former staffer accused him of having an affair with an aide. Bentley, 74, denied that he had a affair with the aide despite evidence and testimony from former staffers to the contrary. Bentley was believed to have faced felony charges but agreed to a plea deal to reduce his charges. How is that only a $600 uh, it's a bond. I'm not sure how all that works. Hmm. But he has there's there's some fines. He has to do community service. There's a whole laundry list of things he has to do. He has to pay back the money that they used during whatever he says didn't happen. They said it did. So the, the I think the sad part is this could have been interesting to watch a governor get impeached. But now we don't get to watch that. Mm. But that's just me wanting to, to see that end of the legal – kind of process air out just because it's like oh wow let's watch this because then they'll make a movie and then there'll be a book and it won't be as good as the movie but still that's right sorry past Im- conversations. that word impeach always makes me hungry impeach peach mm. they're like a delicacy because really? they're good for like one week right. of the year. Then they just turn into, yeah. yeah, gross. Finally, on Monday, the United States, Canada, and Mexico announced a joint bid to host the 2026 World Cup soccer tournament. If selected, it will be the first time the tournament will be hosted by three countries. The only other two countries that have split the tournament was in 2002 when a play occurred in both Seoul, Korea and Japan. The proposal would be for the U.S. to host 60 matches with 10 games each in Canada and Mexico. The World Cup is held every four years. The next one set to take place in Russia in 2018, followed by Qatar in 2022. FIFA's soccer governing body will choose the host for the 2026 tournament in May of 2020. That's how you pay for the wall. Just set up uh, a toll booth oh, at go. the border. Well, that's what he, that that was one of the plans initially was to pay everyone have everyone pay that came across the border. Yeah. That's how you pay for it. Well, just do it just just do it during the World Cup. Well, yeah. I don't know if you're going to get the uh whatever billions <laughs> estimate that's out there now for the the wall, but we'll see what happens. Some tolls are quite pricey. I, I, I was looking over the weekend. The uh, the uh, they had to put in the the bids for the wall. A bunch of companies put in plans or proposed wall designs because it needs to be beautiful, right? But it needs to deter people from climbing it. 
It needs hmm. to be six, like six feet in the ground with 30 feet in the air, just different things like that. And so all the different ideas. Someone someone made it into a light rail system for some reason. Is it is it like the walls that they put up? You know, they redid the freeway here in Utah. Yes. And so they have, and and it goes, you know, kind of close to houses. So they yeah. had to put sound walls up yeah. on the on the side of the freeway. But you know, it used to be you could see the mountains before they put the sound wall up. So they right. had to put mountains on yeah. the There's wall. A mountain design on, <laughs> on the, the wall, wall yeah. so that you can think, oh yeah, that's right. There's where the mountains are. Similar. Yeah. It's just okay. not quite the same. But they, there's all these different requirements, and it's like. They know the border tunnels are more than six feet in the ground, right? I would they hope keep so. Finding. So it's like, how is this going to stop? So you just build a wall stop? and then you pound the wall down so that it takes out the tunnels? I don't know. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. But the designs were uh, were kind of fun to click through on. Uh, I forgot who had it, what website had it. I'll see if I can find it. But it's just. Have we had anybody, uh-huh. you know, jump on Photoshop and have any fun with it there yet? Of course. Yeah, I haven't seen them, but you know they're there, and you know, I mean, <laughs> those are always entertaining. So, and and they're also, I mean, the house and the senate aren't aren't putting them into any, any sort of budget proposals, any sort of hey, this is how much we're going to put some money in here for a wall. So that's not even being talked about. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, my idea is out there. Just uh, toll the, uh, just have a toll booth for the World Cup. You'll get a fraction of what you need do you, on do both you, the north and south border. Why not? I don't know. Canada. Why not? Canada. I mean, you look at Canada, right? The the it's entire I, I the entire it, yeah. population, the vast majority. You could say like eighty percent of the population of Canada, really close to our border. Well, true. Are they amassing? Are they getting ready for something? Is that what's happening? Well, then that's been happening for hundreds of years. Well, I, that's the way they do it. You do it slow and oh, steady. We, we don't really yeah. notice it. And then, bam, you just do troop movements and you just take over Montana. Whoa. I'm not sure Toronto is really that close. <laughs> well, I don't know. By the way, if you want to watch a funny movie about uh, oh, yeah. America declaring war on Canada, go see Canadian Bacon. That's funny. <laughs> Anyway, okay. Any uh, other interesting news stories we should talk about? Are you taking your kids to any Easter egg hunts? We'll probably have one at our house. Yeah, yeah. Easter's this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, kid, my kids are too old. Really, my my kid. I, I think, at least I think so. All I know is an East, the whole concept of the Easter egg hunt. All I see is my kid crying. All I see yeah. is my kid not getting to the eggs fast enough. Other kids being because faster. older kids get faster. Well, that he, – I mean he runs, but it's not like he, he like super fast. So sure, he, sure. he wouldn't get out there and actually get to any eggs before and then he'd just end up with nothing and go home sad. I have mm. seen the crying, yeah, when so we the do older kids just come in and swoop up all the eggs. Yeah. yeah you, what you can do though is you can just say, all right, each kid gets to find five eggs. Yeah. yeah. That's what we – it's 12, but yeah, that's what we do. Oh. But then at the same time, <laughs> I heard uh, – who? someone told me this weekend they went to a uh, – had an Easter egg hunt, and they, they went, and it was like, okay, they bring them in by age group. They tell every every kid yes. you get five eggs. And so everyone picks up five eggs, but then, like, the room they're in, because it was inside, there was some rain in the area. But the, the room they're in just covered in eggs. Yes. So you can't get any more. You have five, but there is <laughs> eggs mm-hmm. and candy everywhere, but you can't touch them. And so the kids were just kind of mad that way, too. So you don't make anyone happy 
Hmm. Either way, whether you have a you know some sort of regulation on how many you can pick up, or whether you just let it be a free for all, a Pennsylvania volunteer fire company says it has canceled this year's Easter egg hunt for children because of unruly parents in past years. Oh yeah, the Norco Fire Company in North this. Coventry Township says on its Facebook page the annual children's event won't be held. Uh, the deputy chief says there has been a re- reoccurring problem of some parents running onto the field despite having been told not to and posing a danger to children. He says it's not the majority of people, but a few people <laughs> just can't seem to let the kids have fun. Officials say they hope to try and hold the event in the township another year. Maybe so, when they feel – and then the story says – and uh, they do like a, a, a associated stories, other stories. That, so it says an egg hunt in Connecticut last year was wrecked by parents, quote, acting like locusts. Yeah. So were they trying to get the eggs themselves or were they just trying to help they their were trying kids to, get them? They were trying to make sure their kids got eggs. You get yeah. those eggs. If you don't get those eggs, right. you're not going yeah. to Harvard. I don't, know if it, I don't know if it was that or if it was them – not wanting the other kids to get the eggs over their their kids. Right. Parents ruin everything. Yes, they do. They really do. See, uh, as the last Easter egg hunt I remember as a kid participating in, they lined all the kids up on one end of the park. Yeah. And they said, go. And there's this huge grass field and you see all the eggs. So you go and you start running, but all the fast kids just picked them up as they ran. And by the time I got there, not being fast, of course – there's no eggs. And so I went. I started trying to run ahead of everyone that's stopping to pick up eggs, but other people did that too. And so this game of sort of leapfrog yeah. over wasn't working. And by the time I got all the way to the fence, every egg was gone. I had nothing. Mm. And I walked back to my parents and went, this is dumb. Why did we come here? I think parents are the reason that I uh, quit playing Little League. There you go. Mm-hmm. Because the pressure just became too much. And uh, yeah, they ruined it for me. And I found out later on I'd never been on a first place team. And I found out the year that I quit, that team went on to win first place. Yeah, see, you gave up too soon. Blew it. Or was yep. it you? Nay, yeah, hey, I, you there know, is that. It could be that the fact that I left was their. Yeah, have you noticed all the ticket. movies he complains about are the really good ones? Yeah, I know. Excuse me, what movies did yeah. I complain about? Thor. Yeah, you. I said it wasn't as good as the others, which you agreed. You both agreed about it. Kenneth Branagh made the movie, so I've still seen it like four times. Yeah. Did you like Cinderella, the live-action Cinderella? I liked it better than Beauty and the Beast, the live-action Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. I have to agree with that. I've seen neither of them. Okay. Kenneth Branagh did that one too. I I know. I have too much testosterone, so yeah. Sorry, have, well, you don't have any girl. Well, you have a you have a, a baby girl, but uh, yeah, eventually, I have two girls. you will you that will my, be going to those movies. That was my thing. Just wait. Those, those movies, I'm like, I don't have to see them. I have a boy. And then all of a sudden, the girl shows up. And you're Guess like, what? Oh, yeah. I have I have four daughters. Just yeah, ask. Yeah. I'll let you know. <laughs> all right. So uh, once again, I think we've established that uh, I'm right. Either that, or I'm being teamed up on. There is that. Yeah. Well, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a problem that probably most men didn't think could happen to them. Maybe it's not just a problem for women. Interesting topic. When we return, this is The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson uh, filling in for Dr. Matt, who's away sick today. You know, when you hear the word osteoporosis, most likely the image of a woman came to mind. The disease most often affects women's bone density as they age. What most people don't realize, however, is that one in four men will have an osteoporotic uh, fracture in their lifetime. Here to discuss her research about how men can combat osteoporosis is Dr. Uh, Dr. Pamela Hinton. Dr. Hinton, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. You know, I, I was a little surprised when I read this uh, these couple of articles that uh, that you were quoted in as well. Uh, and then also that statistic of one in four men will will have an osteoporotic fracture in their lifetime. Um, one of the things that you mention in this article here is that research has shown that the consequences of osteoporosis can be much worse for men. And I'm, I'm just curious to know why that is. Well, part of it is that osteoporosis as you've been saying, is an under-recognized problem in men. And so men are less likely to be diagnosed and treated. And even men who've already had an osteoporotic fracture um, are not as likely to be have their bone density tested or to be prescribed an osteoporosis medication. So really the worst um, outcome for men has a lot to do with the fact that they're, they're not diagnosed to the disease is, is further progressed. And they also tend to be a little bit um, older than women. So um, the difference in the outcome for men and women is actually pretty significant. Men are twice as likely to die after a hip fracture than women. So it's really a problem that we need to pay more attention to. Are there any issues with doctors not informing their male patients enough or in time? Or are they doing their due due diligence already? Yeah, so there's... a quite a bit of evidence out there that the lack of awareness isn't just among the public, but that healthcare professionals also aren't aware of how significant a problem osteoporosis is for men as well. So we really need to do a better job of educating uh, physicians as well as the public about the importance of osteoporosis for men. Is this I mean, is this new information or is this information that's been around that we just haven't put a spotlight on it yet? Um, I think it's both. I think there there isn't clearly as much information about osteoporosis in men as there is in women. So part of it is a lack of information, but then just getting the information that we do have out there uh, has not been uh, done very effectively. So I think it's a combination of both of those things. So what are some of the causes of osteoporosis in men, and for women for that case as well? Sure. So for bone, as we're, uh, our skeleton is growing, so up until our early 20s, we're adding bone mass. And then we go through uh, middle age with a relatively stable bone mass. But then everybody, as we age, will start to lose bone. So for women, that age-related decline is more uh, dramatic around menopause. So with the loss of estrogen, you have a pretty rapid phase of bone loss, and then that kind of plateaus. And for men, the age-related bone loss isn't as dramatic because there isn't the equivalent of menopause in men, although they do have uh, decreases in testosterone, which contribute. But it's a slower rate of decline. So... um, 
there's those similar um, causes between men and women. And part of the age-related decline has to do with um, uh, loss of lean body mass as we age, decreased absorption of vitamin D, which can affect calcium absorption, um, and then a decline in the sex-related hormones, which are important for bone health. So maybe this is why men are having uh, midlife crises. (laughs) (laughs) It could be. It's definitely something that we should be um, thinking about and concerned about. So we were just talking during the break, uh, our producer and uh, our board op and I were talking about milk consumption. And that's one of those things that I just wish that I liked drinking milk. I just wish I liked it. It looks really good, but then I, I pick it up and I drink it. I just don't like it. Obviously, that's not the only thing that we can do to help build our bones. What are some other things that we can do right now to uh, to make our bones stronger? Why don't we start with what we can do at a young age, what we can do uh, in the middle of our lives, and then what we can do in old age to keep those bones strong? Okay, so there's there's sort of three categories of things that you can do, and these would be applicable to any of those phases of the life cycle. And one can't substitute for the other. So you just mentioned one. You need adequate nutrition. So calcium and vitamin D are especially important. You also need to stress the skeleton. So you need to do weight-bearing exercise. So it's analogous to, to muscle, right? We all know that if you want to get bigger biceps, if you do bicep curls, then you see an increase in muscle mass. You need to do the same thing for your bones, although we can't see the effect, right? So you need uh, weight-bearing exercise to stress the skeleton, and then you need to make sure that your um, hormonal status is, is normal and healthy. So if you don't get enough calcium, you can't make up for that by doing the exercise. So each three of those three components is important. And during, when you were asking about the different phases of the life cycle, during skeletal growth, um, there's a window of opportunity to maximize our peak bone mass so that as we age and, and lose bone, we're starting from a higher uh, peak. So all three of those things are important during growth. And then as we age, um, the calcium and vitamin D continue to be important, but we're more and more appreciating that the weight-bearing exercise is also important. So you can actually prevent a lot of that age-related decline in bone mass or maybe even continue to add bone mass even well into adulthood. So as far as exercise is concerned, what are the best exercises that I can do uh, that are probably the most accessible and easiest for me to do? Sure. So when we're thinking about exercise and how it would benefit bone, there's two types of mechanical forces that exercise exerts on bone. So there's the force of a muscle contracting on a bone, and then there's impact of essentially it's a gravitational force. So exercises that are going to have a a big component of muscle contraction forces or the impact force are going to be the best for bone. Um, And that's why we use the the phrase weight-bearing exercise because it encompasses both of those things. So exercise that would be really easy and accessible for most people would be jumping. And you don't have to do very many jumps to get a benefit from bone. So as few as 40 jumps three times a week 
um, would have a positive effect on your bone. Another type of exercise that most people would ha be able to do and have access to that um, would be doing some sort of resistance training, um, ideally with free weights. So that has a really strong muscle contraction um, com force component to it. So that's why it's good for bone. I'm glad you said those two because I, another one that you mentioned uh, in these articles was uh, running. And that's just – that's another example of something that I just wish that I really liked to do, but I just don't. Right, right. And a lot of people, you know, their, their biomechanics don't uh, facilitate them running without getting injured, right? So um, you don't have to run to be able to do something that would be good for your bones. If, if you like running and don't get injured running, then it's a great exercise for, for bone, but it, it's not perfect for everyone. Yeah. Pamela, let, let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, okay. um, I'm hoping that we can talk about maybe some activities that are not as useful in fighting osteoporosis in men. And then also um, we can talk a little bit more about obesity and what we can do today to make a difference in our health. We're speaking with uh, Pamela Hinton, who is talking to us about osteoporosis in men, which is not a problem that most people think w uh, men would have. We'll take a quick break. When we return, we'll continue the discussion. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're speaking with Dr. Pamela Hinton, who's an associate professor of nutrition and exercise physiology at the University of Missouri. She earned her PhD in nutritional sciences from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And she's talking to us today about osteoporosis in men. And uh, Dr. Hinton, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. I'm glad that you mentioned earlier in the program the example of, of uh, you know, an older man breaking his hip. And it is interesting because I've noticed that, too, that when an older person breaks a hip or falls down, it seems like things end very quickly after that. So it's I'm really grateful you're here on the program here today to talk to us about what we can do now to strengthen our bones so that we can have better health and so that we can live healthier and longer lives. So thanks again for being here. Absolutely. Um, so you, we mentioned before the break activities that that uh, encourage healthy bones or, or help with uh, the production or <laughs> strengthening healthy yeah. bones. What about activities that are not going to be as helpful for strengthening our bones? So there are certain types of exercise that aren't as good for bone, and those would be activities where your weight is supported. So swimming is one where your weight is supported by the water, and then cycling is one where your weight is supported by the bike. And those types of exercise have tremendous benefits for cardiovascular health, and weight control and diabetes prevention and all those things. So we are not saying don't do those things, but we are saying those are not going to be activities that will strengthen your bones. So if those are your primary forms of exercise, then you probably need to add something that will really target your bone strength. So an elliptical is probably another example of one yeah. that's not going to be a good one. Correct. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, 
so I, I mentioned we were going to talk a little bit about obesity. What about yes. what effects does obesity have on bone density? So there's been a lot of really new research coming out about the negative effects of obesity on bone health. And for a long time, up until about 10 years ago, we thought that obesity was protective uh, against osteoporosis because heavier people have a greater mechanical load on their skeleton, so they tend to have increased bone mass, uh, which protects against osteoporosis. But there's been more and more data accumulating that people who are obese um, especially obese people who have type 2 diabetes, have increased risk of fracture. So what we're now appreciating is that even though obese people have more bone mass, the quality of that bone is not very good. So if you were just to look at the bone material itself, it's more fragile, and that's why they're more likely to experience fractures. Hmm. That made me think of another question. What uh-huh. about What about people that are handicapped in a certain way or that uh, they're prevented from doing these certain exercises that can help uh, help with their bone strength. What can, uh, what can those people do? Yeah, so that's actually a, a very good question. So um, just like exercise, like weight training is site-specific. So if you want to get stronger arms, you do upper body weightlifting exercises, right? The same applies for bone. So Um, The effects of a physical disability that impairs somebody's um, muscle function is going to, you know, be specific to to wherever that disability is located. So sometimes people who, for example, are, um, their legs are paralyzed, they will um, use like electrical stimulation of their leg muscles and that force of the muscle contracting um, on the bone helps to prevent some of the we call it disuse osteoporosis that you would see in those people. Interesting. Yeah. And and then I suppose uh, you know it would be easier for them to um, make sure that they focus on the nutrition aspect yes. of of strengthening their bones. Right. So okay, aside from um, making sure we're eating right and getting the the nutrients that we need and making sure that we're doing the correct exercises and doing them frequently enough and. And, uh, you know, obviously watching our sugar intake because, we, you know, we don't want to get diabetes. But what other preventive measures can we take to make sure that we're not going to end up with osteoporosis? So there are other lifestyle behaviors that can increase um, the risk of osteoporosis. So smoking um, is not good for bone health. Excessive alcohol consumption is not good for bone health. Um, we sort of touched on... Um, the importance of vitamin D, but there's um, sort of a renewed appreciation that there's an increase in the prevalence of vitamin D uh, insufficiency and deficiency in the United States. So you don't want to only focus on getting enough calcium, but you want to make sure you have adequate vitamin D uh, status. And then as we get older, another important component of fracture risk is not just how strong your bones are, but how likely you are to fall. So another benefit of the exercise is that it improves muscle strength and coordination as well as balance, and reducing the risk of falling can go a long way to reducing uh, fractures also. 
You know, that that brought up another question for me. I some Every once in a while, you know, I'll be walking up and down the stairs and I just feel like my bones aren't that strong on that particular day. And, you know, obviously for an older person who, you know, falls down and breaks their hip and we talked about that kind of is the beginning of the end for yeah. them. Is there, you know, there's the expression that you, you can feel it in your bones. Is there, are there any things that, any signs that we can recognize that, you know, maybe we might want to go into the doctor and, and get this checked out or, you know, something doesn't quite feel right. Are, are there any signs that we're beginning to, uh, to develop osteoporosis or our bones aren't as strong as they need to be? Right. So you bring up a very important point. And something that makes osteoporosis really insidious is that you can't see it happening and you can't feel it happening. So you can feel healthy, um, look healthy, but yet have low bone density. And a lot of people don't know they have osteoporosis, particularly men, until they fall and and break something. Um, So... You, 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 your biggest clue that you might be at risk would be if you have a family history of osteoporosis. So if you think back, you know, to your family members, particularly your, you know, your grandmothers or your aunts, your mom, if they have sort of the typical um, osteoporotic posture sort of hunched over, which is due to the um, compression fractures in the, the vertebrae, then you're probably at greater risk. So then you might want to make sure you talk with your doctor about um, being screened for osteoporosis and just, you know, for your own self, knowing that, that you be extra careful to do the things under your control to reduce your risk. I'm glad you said that, too, because that was going to be my next question, you know, because I, I try to stay on top of going in to get a physical once a year. But, yeah, you know, I I just do all the things that they tell me to do. I don't necessarily know that I should ask them to be screened for osteoporosis. Um, Interesting. Okay. So um, getting back to the – because in your research you you mentioned that one in four men will – could potentially develop osteoporosis. In your research, have you found anything that – is there one – huge cause that, you know, these men, the the one in the four men that are developing osteoporosis, most of them are smokers because you mentioned smoking right. is, is one thing that is, is negative, has a negative impact on your health, obviously, but uh, could lead to osteoporosis. Is there one that is, that screams louder than the others that this is, this is the reason why these men are developing osteoporosis? Right. So I can give you sort of a general answer and then more specific to the work we've done. Um, if you just look at the men who have osteoporosis in the United States and uh, the people who have osteoporosis that you can identify the cause, um, there are certain medications that increase risk for osteoporosis. So um, steroidal anti-inflammatories would be one. So people are on cortisone, for example, for extended periods of time that negatively affects their bone. And then men who've had prostate cancer and are on androgen deprivation therapy, which is a common treatment for prostate cancer, um, also have low bone mass. So if there's a lot of men that have what we call idiopathic osteoporosis. We can't identify a specific cause, but for those men, 
we do know the cause, it's, it's those categories. And then our research has focused mostly on the effects of physical activity and bone health, and we've done um, some studies where we've looked at physical activity sort of level and type throughout the course of the lifespan, and men who don't engage in weight-bearing exercise throughout their entire life have lower bone density than men who engage in the type of exercise that strengthens bones when they're in adolescence, young adulthood, and adulthood. So in our research, that's been the most um, common sort of underlying theme that we've, we've observed is just a lack of um, the appropriate type of exercise throughout the lifespan. Well, I'm glad you said that because uh, I need to improve in that arena. So thank you. Well, we, sure. Most of us just don't, don't think about it, right, that we need to do something that's specific for our, our bone health. Well, I do like jumping, so I'll start there maybe. I'll just start jumping up and down. Um, but uh, I'm just curious, as we, as we wrap up the interview uh-huh. here, Dr. Hinton, uh, what, uh, what's up next in your research? What, uh, what exciting things are you going to be looking at next? So we're really um, trying to better understand the effects of obesity and type 2 diabetes on bone. So as I mentioned before, we're now appreciating that there is increased fracture risk with um, those conditions, but we don't fully understand why the bone is more fragile. And, of course, we're always interested in the benefits of exercise. So we've done some animal work to see if exercise can either prevent or treat the loss of bone strength that you see in obesity and type 2 diabetes. Because we'd much rather be able to tell people that um, they can improve their bone health by exercising and that they don't have to take a drug. Well, Dr. Hinton, we'll have to have you back on the show again when we uh, when you do more research on type 2 diabetes because my father actually has type 2 diabetes. Uh, we appreciate you. Her name is Pamela Hinton, and uh, she is an associate professor of nutrition and exercise physiology at the University of Missouri. And she talked to us today about osteoporosis in men. We need to improve our uh, nutrient intake and also make sure we get the right exercise in. So make sure you do that and you won't end up with osteoporosis, or at least you'll decrease your chances of that. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with our producer, Caitlin Thomas, about a problem that, uh, another problem that is rather prevalent today, binge watching. When we return, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Since Netflix was put on the market in 2007 for streaming online movies, something called binge-watching has taken a hold of people all across the globe. What is it, and is it healthy? Well, Caitlin Thomas is here with us to explain more about binge-watching and whether or not it is a beneficial way to consume media. Caitlin, welcome back. Good morning. So, Happy uh, Tuesday. First and foremost, are you a binge-watcher? I am. I am a huge binge watcher. I'm not a very good like weekly. There's only about one show that I think I actually dedicate to myself to watch weekly, and that's Walking Dead. Okay. But that's purely because 
I mean, I love the show, but it's also purely because it's a social activity. My family and a couple other families all get together and we watch it together. <laughs> so it's like it's a social gathering. So to you, what is binge watching? Binge watching is since Netflix came about and now you can watch not only movies but also TV shows. Binge watching is just when instead of watching something you know every once in a while or every week, you just sit down and you watch like an entire season in one sitting. Or, you know, you watch or however many episodes in one sitting and you just binge, binge, binge and then you're satisfied for a while and then you don't have to watch any more uh, TV. <laughs> Do you prefer binge watching over just watching a show once a week when it comes on? I think I think I do. Maybe it's because of just maybe the lack of time that I have. So every once in a while, I'll get a lot of time, so I'll sit down and watch it. Um, so, but it's interesting. I looked at a couple different articles comparing, you know, this new binge watching craze with weekly episodes and stuff. And it said the term, the rise of the term binge watching, was synonymous with the rise of Netflix, obviously, because now you don't have to wait. They'll put an entire season on Netflix at the same time. Um, And in fact, the rise in popularity of Breaking Bad, for example, was Mm -hmm. in direct correlation to past seasons being put on Netflix to watch it full. So sometimes people don't have the time to watch something every week or they're on at like an an odd time at night and people are in bed or or whatever it is they're doing. So then they have Netflix and they can turn it on on a Sunday when they've got all this downtime and they can just watch it. Yeah. And so things rise in popularity. I just recently finished watching – in fact, now Netflix does original shows. That's right. Netflix is now making shows and streaming them through Netflix. And I just finished watching one called 13 Reasons Why, which was great. And I oh. sat and binge-watched the whole thing, all 13 episodes, in two days. Do you think Satisfying. this is a good way to consume media? Well, I think there's pros and cons. I mean, the article said that when you're binge-watching, you're losing the social aspect of watching TV. Apparently, watching TV is a social activity because you watch it one week and then you go to work the next day and everybody at work has something to talk about. Water cooler talk. Yeah, <laughs> That's exactly mm-hmm. what they called it, water cooler moments. Mm-hmm. That's what they called it. So I think that, you know, you lose that aspect and there's less anticipation um, if maybe some people enjoy that. Um, it gives you something to talk about with friends sometimes it requires more effort which makes it more worth it that's my cons but i have some pros of binge watching okay especially because my mom said that it's bad for me (laughs) so this is me mom showing you why it's not bad you can watch whatever you want whenever like you're not on somebody else's time scale you're not on a tv you know media company's time scale you can watch from your couch or your tv or at school like me yeah i can watch in between classes anywhere you can pause and stop it anytime you want, which now with DVR, you can do that on your TV as well. Mm-hmm. But this one's nice because it's not live, so you don't have to worry about any. Anyways, you can just pause it, turn your computer off, go to bed, wake up, unpause it. Yeah. And watch it from right where you started. You can keep watching them as long as you want. So say there's an episode that was really good and you just really want to go back and watch it, and you can. You have so, all the control in the world. So do you want to hear my take on it? Hmm. I think binge watching and Sean's shaking his head. He doesn't. He's heard my opinions today and has not agreed with any of them. Oh no! <laughs> so, my opinion of binge watching, I think it's more appropriate if you are watching something for the second time. Let's say you're trying to get through all the episodes of Seinfeld or Arrested Development, or uh, and you're, you've already seen it, so you don't have you're, you're not going to miss anything because you know the mas- the the major plot points. You know the 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 good parts. Uh, so you can kind of have it on in the background while you're exercising or, you know, doing something else. You're not going to miss as much. But, yeah, I think there is a social aspect 
to watching one episode per week. Not only that, but I I'm very much a fan of event television. So shows that will, you know, they're only going to put out a season every couple of years. So you know they're going to take their time on it and make it extra special. I want to sit down, watch it in the moment, and I want to have time to digest it too. Mm. To say, to like go online and read about all the Easter eggs that were sprinkled throughout the episode. <laughs> and so if you're watching them one right after the other for the first time, That's true. I you're think you're kind that. of cheapening the experience and you're probably missing out on a lot of things that you wouldn't. Uh, that you wouldn't normally see if you didn't have that time to digest in between viewings. Right, and there is that, and they talked about that. That's funny. And I think a lot, maybe you like that. Maybe that's because that's how you were, you grew up watching TV. I hate that. <laughs> see, and I hate that so much. I just want to watch it. I'm not one of those people that likes to wait. Like, I just want to know what happens and how it's going to end and feel the resolution within I've, myself. I find that interesting since I've seen you around the office here Talking about The Bachelor, and that is nowhere to be <laughs> binge-watched. That is true. That is nowhere to be binge-watched. <laughs> Reality TV, yes, that is true. You're right, Sean. So that because, I guess in some ways. Because I've seen you around the office with other students. Oh, that's all we talk about during other when students. it's in season. I know. I know. It's a big social gap. It is. At it work, is. We sit and talk about it. There's that social aspect, whereas... You know, when I'm binge watching on Netflix, I can only talk to somebody about it if they've already watched it as far as I have. There's also another aspect that both of you have missed. But, you Uh-oh. know, Netflix and binge watching, you don't have – there's no commercials. That's it. Boom. Aha. That's Boom. true. That's true. But do you feel better uh, getting through a season of something really quick? Does that give you a sense of accomplishment? Or do you feel better uh, being able to show some restraint – and discipline and say, you know what? I can wait a week before I watch the next episode. I've had to do that with a new show, actually. I I'm, I'm very much into the This Is Us on NBC. I love that uh-huh. show. And it's, you know, it's nowhere to binge watch. Nope. So, Not yet. Yeah. My family and I have to watch it one week at a time. Enjoy it while you can. But no, nobody answered my question, though. Do you I feel, mean, I don't know. Do you feel I better? Do you feel better? Uh, do you have a – is there a greater sense of accomplishment getting through something like that? Or do you know. feel better about yourself mm. knowing, you know, I feel good that I was able to stop watching this? I think millennials would argue that they like binge watching. That's what we do. But that's just kind of how we've always consumed media. So I don't know. Maybe it's a generational thing. I admit that – I'm a binge uh, watcher. I, I am too at times. And I do admit that when I make it through a season of something, <laughs> there is that – since yes, that's like, I accomplished I something. <laughs> I know, isn't that sad? <laughs> I sat there and, and did nothing. And I did nothing. Well, and it's nice. I did nothing for this long. Like, wow, exactly. good for me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, to me, I there are good shows that have kind of turned me into a snob. And uh, <laughs> they've ruined other TV shows for me. It's okay, Jeff. Binge watch or don't. The decision. Is your, decision. It's up to you. It's up to you. <laughs> Only you. Can binge watch. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Smokey. We're going to take a break. Caitlin Thomas, you've done it again. We've been talking a lot about movies and TV today. Probably. I did a lot of it last night. because you're hosting today. Yeah, that's probably (laughs) right. I like that stuff more than Matt, although he watches a lot more than I do. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the fun here on the Matt Townsend Show. We're Dr. Mattless, but that's okay. It'll still be a great day and a great show. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who's away sick today. I'm joined here by Terry South, our wonderful producer, and Sean O'Neill, our uh, perennial board op slash uh, movie critic slash uh, disagreeer of me. Of all things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ask my wife. That's what I usually <laughs> But that's good. Wouldn't I mean how boring would this show have been this morning if all three of us were like, "Oh, that move that movie looks amazing. This movie looks amazing. We all agreed on everything." No comment. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I, I found a list yesterday, I think. Let me see if I can find it real quick. A, a list? list of the uh it's kind of long. It's Oh, there's 14 signs you're in a healthy relationship. Oh. Mm. Is disagreeing one of them? Step 1 is you fight. Okay. Because you're you in, a, wait, in a healthy relationship. Yeah. No, you fight in the sense of a disagreement. You have you don't agree on right. everything because that one that would be boring. Not physically and, fighting. And we don't two, want to be a pushover. Two at some point, someone's just not participating. Right. Right. Because you may you're going to disagree. You're two different individuals. You're going to have a different point of view. And at some mm-hmm. point, if you're not having a disagreement or a a, a verbal back and forth, then you're just not participating because you don't care. And I'm of a, I'm of the opinion that you really do need a balance because nobody is perfect. And so you need somebody that can kind of pick up the well, slack that you lack. You that know? could be a point of contention there because some mm. people do believe they are perfect. <laughs> or rarely wrong. Which is the first sign that you're not perfect. There you go. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we'll have to get so into we'll, those. We'll do that at some point. Probably okay. not today because there's 14 points. We'll do one every day for the next 14 shows. We could do that. <laughs> That'll carry us into May. Mm. Yeah, that really would. Probably. Deep Thoughts yeah, <laughs> by Terry South. Hmm. Oh, I would tune in for that. I do every day. <laughs> anyway, um, we don't have any special days today, I nope. wouldn't, and we're not celebrating the fact that Matt is it's not, not like here. It's not Jelly Bean Day or something? There's days. They were just not interesting. Okay. So. Today can be Nacho Day because I think I'm going to go home and it was like No, it, it's Nacho Day. Believe yeah. me. <laughs> it was like Dental Assistance Day or Love a Lawyer Day or you know, oh. whatever. Okay. Now, speaking of loving lawyers, I am loving Better Call Saul. Yeah. Which you are not going to you you're kind of you're kind of being a Grinch about it, not watching it as it's happening. Not being a Grinch, I don't have any time. <laughs> there is that. You have two it, kids. It's something I, I I have little time. Plus, it's something I watch with my wife, and if she doesn't get to yep. the couch in enough time, we go to bed at ten. See, but the thing is, gotta get it in. late. We, yeah, see, we have this in common. I don't have time either, but I, 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 I'm willing to make certain sacrifices. Sure, we're just going to take our kid and <laughs> shove them in a closet there and is just that. make time. No, it is funny not. because we'll my wife had a meeting last night, and I was like, hmm, well, why don't we watch half of it before you go, and then mm. we'll just stay up later and finish it. So I'm, I'm then, shoving my kids yeah. off in about two weeks. Hmm. So you're going to have a lot more time I'm, on your hands. I'm shoving them off to Grandma's house, and my wife and I are going away for a week. So, so you'll have no excuse to get caught up on this is us. No, yeah, I do have the an excuse. <laughs> we're, we're leaving the house. We're oh. going away. Well, you still have your phone. Uh, no, hmm. not where I'm going. Oh, that kind of sounds morbid. No, we're going on a cruise. Oh, okay. Well, I'm not paying for I'm not paying for Wi-Fi on a ship. I'm sorry. That's a good point. Oh my goodness, it's like 
Uh-huh. What, what is it, like 50 bucks a day or something, something crazy like, yeah, like that? Cra- it, is, it is just so expensive. Well, have a good time. You know, they're going to have movies on oh, the cruise. Oh, they will. Yes, yeah. I'm, I don't doubt that. Hmm. It's actually a princess cruise, so they actually have the love boat playing 24 hours a day. That's great. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You can go in and see Charo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. See, I talked earlier about the greatest TV shows ever, and that's one that I've never seen, so I can't oh, you're say that it's me. the greatest. Oh, you ha- Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know I the theme song. To, but... i got to petition Netflix to put that on just and for I, Jeff. I also remember the Saturday Night Live episode where they had – it was a crossover between The Love Boat and Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> oh, with Patrick gosh. Stewart. I've got to see that. Yeah, it was pretty great. Anyway, Terry, what else is going on around the rest of the country? Secretary of State Rex Tillerson on Tuesday said Russia must soon choose between its relationship with the U.S. or its relationship with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Tillerson, speaking at the Group of Seven conference, said it's still not clear if Russia failed to take its obligations to Syria seriously in disposing of chemical weapons or just did a poor job at it. That still has to be... uh, he says it's a distinction that doesn't matter uh, much to the dead. Either way, there are people True. that are dead. What, what's Russia's role in this? Tillerson spoke of those killed in the chemical attacks suspected to have been carried out by Assad on Syrian civilians, which killed more than 80 people, including at least 20 children. He goes, we cannot let this happen again. There is no future for Assad in Syria, Tillerson continued. The Italian foreign minister said Tuesday that there was no consensus in the G7 for new sanctions on Russia. Tillerson will travel to Moscow later in the day and, uh, as according to uh, current schedules, will not meet with President Vladimir Putin. We'll see, though, because they're friends. Tillerson has a Friend of Russia award that was given to him from by Putin himself. You got a friend in me. So the, the, this is a, a friendship breakup here. We got to figure out how to, how to get these <laughs> Are they going to go ride horses together? I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Shirtless. I don't, I don't know what Friend of Putin gets you, what, what kind of access that gets you. So Who knows? North Korea has warned it will defend itself by powerful force of arms against the U.S. Navy, which has angered the capital there by deploying a strike group to the Korean Peninsula. So we have a aircraft carrier, a bunch of destroyers. They all head towards the North Korean Peninsula. North Korea says, uh, you know, they're being provoked. Urgh. Saber rattling. Everyone's uh, there. They're, uh, it says the U.S. Pacific Command says it's meant to maintain readiness in the region amid escalating North Korean provocations. Hmm. So. I'm s- every time I hear about North Korea, all I can think of is Monty Python for yeah. some reason. Yeah, uh, yeah it's kind of funny. <laughs> President Trump is on pace to spend more on travel in a single year than President Obama spent in the entire eight years of his presidency, according to CNN. Over the first 80 days of his presidency, Trump has spent approximately $21 million traveling to Mar-a-Lago, his Florida beach club, where he has already spent 21 days as president. Obama spent less than $97 million on travel during the eight years he was in the White House. Among Trump's uh, Obama's trips were occasional visits to golf courses, which Trump frequently criticized him for him on Twitter. Trump has made 16 visits to golf courses, and we haven't even hit the 100-day mark yet. See, you know, I'm very much a value-minded person, so if I pay for something, I want to get the most out of it as I possibly can. Maybe okay. that's his mindset. Well, he's not taking a paycheck. He's donating all the money. Why can't hmm. he take a road trip? Yeah. His, well, the other thing is he has Put golf. Put the family in the station wagon and go. He, Come on. Chevy Chase did it. So can Donald Trump. He has golf courses in Maryland. <laughs> you know, He doesn't have to fly to Florida all the time. There's so wait, he's, he's spent how many nights in the White House? Well, they said he spent 21 days in Florida wow. as president at his beach club. And hmm. he's golfed 16 times. All things, the travel, the golf, he criticized openly and often 
Obama for for taking a vacation or golfing. And he's just doing it at such a, a rate that it's going to be some record-setting number here. Yeah, but it's different. Of course. Because he's going to make – he's fixing things. Um, and finally, a reigning champion broke his own world record by eating more than 250 peeps in five minutes. Matt Stoney ate 255 of the marshmallow and sugar treats during the second annual World Peeps Eating Championship at National Harbor on Saturday. Last year, he consumed 200 peeps. Thirteen competitive eaters vied for the title this year. Contestants had five minutes to eat as many peeps as possible. I'm sorry. Wow. No. No. A lot of peeps. That's a oh yeah. They're they're never going to be able to feel their tongue again. No. With all that sugar. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh. I but, can I can eat a peep maybe, but <laughs> no. I don't want to hear a peep out of you. <laughs> you won't. So oh now just imagine that they had an eating contest with the peep pizza that we talked about last week. <laughs> It's more pizza than peeps, so that would probably work. That would, yeah, it'd be probably more doable. Yeah, yeah, but just peep straight peeps. pizza. Peep Sean, pizza. You heard right, peep pizza. Yeah, the peeps are there... all they're like melted, colory splotches on top of the pizza. So it's like after. rainbowish. Yeah, it's kind of. Is gross. there a red sauce? Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a pepperoni pizza with peeps on it. Ew. Yeah. Mm. But you got to celebrate the holiday somehow. Okay. Well, now I've had a Nutella pizza. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Up in Salt Lake, there's a restaurant that does a Nutella pizza. And they put strawberries and bananas on it, and it's really good. So if you – But if, there's no tomato sauce or pepperoni. If, if you guys could be in, a, in a, an eating contest, what would it be? What would be the item and what would be your strategy? See, I, I, I had surgery and I can't do that anymore. Yeah? I used to do stuff like that when I was a kid. But, but in I your dreams, can't. what would it be? No. <laughs> See, the, the thing is, you I don't would, dream like that you anymore. Wouldn't, you wouldn't use the, you wouldn't go after the food that you like the most. Why not? Because it may you, not be the most. Uh, it could ruin it for you. Yeah, it, it could ruin it, would, it for you. It would ruin it, but it, could, okay. it might, might not be the best, can, most convenient to eat hmm. in a competitive way. That's like, true. Hmm. I like tacos, but they're probably not the best. They'd fall apart. Probably not the safest. Or the safest. Scrape up your throat. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But you could do like a Twinkie because there's nothing to a Twinkie and it kind of mushes down. But still you got the cake, so that might be a little bit more difficult. That's why the hot dog eating contest is is strange because you got to soak the bun. Yeah. To make it make it go down because if not, the, you're going to choke on the bread. There's just too much bread going. What do they do? Mm-hmm. They soak it in water, or yeah. is it yes. like a brine? No, just water. Oh. You watch; they all have big cups of water and they dunk it, and you, you know get what? a soggy hot dog. Those people should have. Well, no, to... no, they actually separate them. Yeah, they eat the buns uh-huh. separate from the hot dog. Wow, yeah. this is going to make Don uh, Don Shaline mad. But they should have to dip it in the hot dog juices, the hot dog water. Well, that's not a bad idea. It would, it would be eco- you know, ecological, right? Save there, the water. Right. Yeah. And other food news. Yes, that makes us throw up? No. Taco okay. Bell. Ding dong. They have the whole fried chicken uh, fried chicken shell taco, quesadilla wrapped burrito as well. All, yes. All, so they're taking food and wrapping it in food. Yes, making, they're calling it naked chicken. Making the food, yeah. the shell, is kind of their thing. This they, is an yeah. example of too much power. Right. Now they're using a – they have a breakfast item where oh. they have a fried egg as, as the taco the shell? shell. Oh, my gosh. No. Oh, yeah. my gosh. They're, they're going to test it in That's Flint. That's greasy. They're testing it in Flint, Michigan later this spring along with another menu item being called the croissant burrito hybrid. Well, that sounds kind of good. Yeah. So, so wait, what's in the egg so taco? So it's a you know, like Cur- sausage burrito, that kind of stuff. So you got the egg folded, and inside you got like sausage, maybe some you maybe had a, potatoes. Yeah, okay. You had a cronut before. Yeah. Now you okay. have a burrito. Maybe. 
The great thing about this is it's not that bizarre. The no. only the, – the worst thing about this is like you were saying, you get your hands greasy or, you know, you get stuff all over your hands. But, right. But you're I mean, Taco Bell. That happens anyways. Who isn't combining their, their potatoes or their sausage with their eggs anyway? Yeah. So you know? You, you, you know I, I would order that. If I, I do – if I do – I don't like potatoes in my breakfast burrito. Really? I do not. Well, if you just have mm. eggs personal, and, I know it's personal taste. Eggs yeah. and ham, it's fine, right? Yeah. When I make them at home, though, my kids are always, where's the potatoes, Dad? Yeah. But it's not like a donut hamburger. Like two things yeah, that obviously weird. just don't belong together. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> I'm going to try it. Well, so where I have to go where to get it? Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan. So don't drink the mm. water. <laughs> okay. But you should be okay. And in other news, yes. we talked about movies earlier. Yes. This one this one hit home for me because I may be able to join a class action lawsuit. Oh. Ooh. Why? So, Did you invest in okay. something? Wait a minute. Wait, as many movies as I've seen, do I get to join this? <laughs> I don't know. If you own this product, maybe. A few years ago, uh, MGM put out a box set for the 50th anniversary of James Bond. Oh, I've heard. Oh. Yes. Right. yes. Yes. So I they put out – I my wife bought this for me for Christmas. I have all the James Bonds except for a few. Right now, there was a couple. There was uh, yeah, because well, they hadn't done Spectre yet. The spe- right. yeah, the, the newest movie, obviously. Right. But then there's Casino Royale, which was a comedy. Yes, which yes. is with Peter Sellers, not, it, not canon. It yeah. isn't owned by MGM. No, it's not right. And then there's Never Say Never Again, which you have to go look in. There's this whole it's, story. It's a, re- it's a remake of Thunderball. Well, no, it's. Well, and it was a it's splinter. It was a splinter. James There's Bond. a lawsuit. A splinter group yeah. made a separate movie. There was uh, after a certain amount of time, they made that movie. I happen to enjoy that movie quite a bit. Yeah, it's a good movie. Kim Basinger's in it. It's mm-hmm. not owned by MGM, right? So it's not part of this box set. So a woman. Neither of those two are. Yeah. So a woman in Seattle purchased what's her name? Mary Johnson is suing on behalf of herself and others similarly situated who oh, bought the box set. Because it was advertised as having but, all of them? Yeah, it says it has every single Bond film gathered for the first time. So she spent one hundred six dollars and then found out these two movies aren't in aren't part so of the group. The but it has every that, sanctioned <laughs> yes. James Bond. I'm right. pretty sure that if you look in the item description it will list it the movies in the okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So if you read on the box it's there. But yeah. if it's not there, you know. So she's suing. So the question is, does she have a case? Mm. Uh, that's a good question. Because I would have looked at this box. I did look at the box, and I didn't expect to have these. Dropping dropping 100 bucks on it, you better yeah. believe I'm looking at the box. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, I, you, personally, I would not expect those movies to be in there. No. I, well, knowing some of the history of both of these movies, there's no way because they don't own them. So exactly. they're not going to be in there. They so, don't have the rights. So a lot of people are kind of like, she. she's looking at it as false advertising. Yes. And other people are looking at it that, you know, if you truly are a fan of something like that, you you would know going in. Well, or as you said, read the box. It would not have those movies on it. You would know from right. the box. So, First of all, know. you're not going to get all the James Bond movies because you're going to continue to make them. Well, yeah. Yeah. But at that point. Seems like a money grab. Yeah. So I was like, do I well, sign even at on? that point, there was like two that weren't in the box. How much money do you think I can get out of this if they rule in her favor? Favorite James mm. Bond it movie? Just, it doesn't say how much she's suing for. Um... So. You know, uh, lately, uh, Spectre was really good, I thought, and so was um, the one before that, Skyfall. Yep. Okay. But if I go for historic ones, I, I, I'm i sorry. I like the George Lazenby on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Wow. I like that one, too. Maybe not for the same reasons as, you know, you and I have not agreed on anything today. But I, I've – From Russia with Love different. is also one of my favorites. Derry? 
I don't really have a favorite. I have obviously mm. I just said I have them all, but I, it's just like we'll sit there. My wife's like, "Where are we going to watch tonight?" And I go, "James if you, Bond." I, if you don't, if you don't have something, we're watching James Bond. She goes, "Fine." So I just toss <laughs> one in, and then she just ignores it. But yeah, what about Goldfinger? That's a good one. Yeah. I think that's the best one. Okay, but I really do like Casino Royale and Skyfall. See, I'm not a big fan of the uh, Roger Moore era. See, but what was great about those, they were all different and bizarre. Live and bizarre. Let, live and Let Die is – that and On Her Majesty's Secret Service I think are the most bizarre James Bond movies there are. I still enjoy On Her Majesty's Secret Service because you had the, this guy with <laughs> – it's the only one that J- George Lazenby did. And he in the opening sequence, he gets in a fight on a beach protecting this girl, and she gets in his car and drives away. And he he comes up with the line, "Oh, that didn't happen to the other guy." See, but I don't <laughs> I don't like. Sometimes I really don't like those winks at the camera. You know, like but 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 you know, and I, that was very much uh, the case for me in that movie. But anyway, I got off on a little tangent there. A little bit. Just don't buy. The MGM Bond set, if you're expecting the campy Casino Royale and the... By the way, Woody Allen's in that movie, too. That's true. So probably not canon. No. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Dr. Ron Hager, our health evangelist, is here. And he's brought a couple of guests with him that are going to be talking about owning your health through lifestyle change. Sounds like a good one for me. We'll hit that topic when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt, who is not well today, which is interesting because if you're listening to that music, that means we're speaking to our health evangelist, Dr. Ron Hager, who is uh, an associate professor of exercise sciences here at Brigham Young University. Associate professor or was it associate? Did I get that right? Uh, associate guru. Guru. Is that it? How about <laughs> okay. that? That's... Well, I, Let's stick with evangelist here. We we've, we're branding you here. Yeah. Um, so he and you've brought a couple of very special guests with you here today. I did, I did. Uh, you, I've done this before, and I think it's um, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I teach a chronic disease prevention class on campus, and this uh, and and this t- today I've brought a couple of students in. Uh, we have some different projects and things that we do in class. Obviously, we talk a lot about. Uh, reducing risk of chronic disease over the course of the whole semester. But I always ask a few students every every year uh, at some point, you know, tell me about your experiences. And uh, one of the project assignments is called a, a flexitarian diet. Uh, that's, that's not entirely a made-up word, but it, it doesn't mean that you do a lot of stretching while you eat. Okay. It, uh, <laughs> it, it means that you're not being too extreme with your diet. You know, you're not being, you know, like vegan or vegetarian or, or you know, I, you know, or knocking out entire food categories or something like that. It just means that you're trying to eat more healthy. What you're trying to do 
is be plant-based, eat, eat a plant-based diet. Hmm. And, and the students are required to do that for four consecutive weeks. Obviously, wow. I get some pushback on that, but, uh, but, but they, they do it to the extent that they can. And one of the first questions students always ask is, well, what can I eat? Well, what shouldn't I eat? And I say, well, that's for you to figure out, right? Because that's, as, as we've talked, you know, yeah. that, you know my, my feeling is that everybody's health and their lifestyle has to be something that they can do that they can work on according to whatever works for them. So students are just told, you know, figure this out, figure out what works for you. So that's one of the assignments. Um, and the two students that have come in today, uh, Mindy Lathan is a, a senior uh, majoring in exercise and wellness, and Rebecca Freeman is a junior with a major in exercise science. Mm-hmm. And and they both, I think, had, uh, I guess what you might call like a paradigm shift or a little bit of an awakening regarding this idea of, you know, owning their health that they're the ones in charge of it. And so I wanted them to come in and you can talk to them a little bit, ask them some questions and maybe get them to share some of their story. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's talk about this flexitarian, flexitarian diet. <laughs> wow, I think uh, that was the sound of somebody who hasn't been eating red meat in a while, feeling a little weak. Um, I don't know. Uh, so we've got Mindy and Rebecca. And I'm just curious, when you first heard that it was going to be a requirement to only eat plant-based foods. You, you could have fish and you could have poultry. What were your thoughts when you heard that? So for me, I was like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I um, definitely loved going to nutrition classes in high school and my first bit of college. And so I was like going into this class like, okay, sweet, chronic disease. What is this about? And he says that the project is diet. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, because I'm not a good cook or anything like that. College student, don't have a lot to live on, like, weekly. So I'm like, okay, um, what am I going to (laughs) eat? What can I cook to eat? (laughs) Yeah. And how about you, Mindy? Um, My experience was a little different. Um, When I took an OBC and weight management class, I realized that my um, daily actions were not lining up with the health habits that I was learning. And so it was actually back in December when I decided to change my health habits. And so I count that as kind of my awakening. And so when I got to this class, I was like, oh, that's perfect. I am already doing this. I can continue to do it. And it's just kind of been a continuation of that awakening. Yeah. I'm really curious to hear what your experiences were with this, doing this for four weeks, um, because you hear the word diet And it's just such a buzzword. You think, oh, dieting doesn't work, you know, and it's one of those things that everything is constantly changing. You're always getting new information. Don't drink this. Okay, now you should drink this. Um, So I'm just curious to know your experience with this flexitarian diet. Um, Tell us what uh, surprised you and maybe tell us a little bit about what changes you plan on adopting because of this diet. And let's start with you this time, Mindy. Okay. Um, What surprised me is that it really wasn't that different from what I was living before. I made slight changes and I was more aware of what I was eating, but it wasn't too drastic. And that's something that I really appreciate because I don't want to be on a diet. I've never really been a dieter. I've always been into sports and wanting to improve my health just to feel good. And so I felt like it was a continuation of that, that it was just helping me continue to feel good and try to cut out some of the foods that weren't very good for me, but also just add in more vegetables. And I learned how to make new foods and like cauliflower crust pizza was really fun to make. Mm. And so it's been really fun. Okay. How about you, Rebecca? Um, Kind of the exact same thing. Uh, What I could add to that is just that 
um, I loved how you could either go like very moderate with it, like implement a couple things to change. And so like what I did was I just went from like white flour to wheat flour, that sort of thing. I added a lot more vegetables and it was amazing how much it changed, how I felt and the likes. So interesting. How tell us more about that. How how did it improve the way that you feel? Well, for instance, um, I would let's see here. Well, for me, I'm a very like emotional person. Like I have a two points off a test. I'm like, hmm, okay. But then my body's like, oh my goodness, what did you do? What did you do? (laughs) Stuff like that. And so like when I was going on this diet, I didn't realize it'd be very emotional, like um, for emotional health like that. And so um, it's not as extreme when like you have these times where like, oh, this happened. You're like, whoa, this happened. So your body's like a little more calm about things. Interesting. So, you know, a lot of people are entering into a diet because they want to improve their physical appearance or they want to improve, you know, uh, endurance and stamina. But you brought up a, a good point that it can also improve your emotional health as well. That's good to know. So, uh, I want to make an observation here, and I, I don't think I'm out of line. The two of you are in very good shape, as it is. Uh, I'm wondering if, if you had classmates that had a completely different experience from you because maybe they had a few pounds that they wanted to shed. Did you talk to any of your classmates that, that may have had a different experience from you? Um, I actually lost about 15 pounds. You did? Since I wow. started, yeah. And I had prehypertension before, and now my blood pressure is normal. So it was a really cool experience to see just small changes, but doing them consistently, being able to have those effects. Well, that's huge. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. How about you, Rebecca? Anybody that you talk to or you yourself experience some of those changes? I'm trying to think here. Like, physically, appearance-wise, I don't think so. A lot of the classmates I sit next to, they're kind of like in the same boat as me. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I would also have, uh, problems feeling faint if I was like, out in the day, a little too hot outside. I'd be like, I got to sit down guys. And I don't have that anymore. So it's really nice. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Let's do this. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to know about, uh, get into some of the more, uh, specific aspects of this diet, what you could eat, what you couldn't eat. And, uh, cause I, I kind of want to try it myself. I need to lose those 15 pounds. Anyway, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion with Mindy and Rebecca here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. We're speaking with Dr. Ron Hager and a couple of his students. Uh, let me make sure I get your last names correct. Mindy Lathan and Rebecca Freeman, who are here to shed some more light on this uh, flexitarian diet, what it is and how it's helping them with their lifestyle and making changes uh, to improve that. Ron, just really quickly, I wanted to ask you, because um, you, you mentioned you had some students that were... Uh, that gave you that pushed back a little bit on this idea of the flexitarian diet and having to do it for the class. Did you have any student that came up to you and said, "I, you know, I've spoken with my doctor. I really can't do this diet." Was there anybody that said that? Yeah, yeah, you know that happens. Probably uh, most often, the pushback comes from athletes. Mm. You know, because I'll have a lot of athletes in class, and you know, on the different athletic or sports teams here at BYU, and. 
uh, and they have an idea in, in their mind that, you know, th- th- that the training table, you know, the, the pack it on kind of thing, uh, you know, eat as much as you can, you know, is what they have to do to perform. Uh, so I, I do get some pushback from athletes, but, but I do actually show a little slide presentation in class uh, that shows, uh, uh, you know, maybe uh, 10 or 12 world-class athletes in, in all sports, ranging from, you know, ultra-distance marathon running to football to NFL, uh, people who uh, eat um, you know, very strict diets that are plant, yeah. th- that are plant based. Yeah. So, so this idea that you know, well, I got to eat meat, you know, because meat is muscle, and I need muscle. You know, th- that that's kind of a a stretch to say. You know, yeah. if I eat muscle, I get muscle. So I do get some pushback there, and then also uh, more often in women, uh, this happen. Th- this particular thing happens. But I'll have a student occasionally every semester come up to me and say, "Look, I've got an eating disorder." And and right now I'm doing really well, and I'm just afraid if I uh, change anything or make any drastic changes, it's gonna it's gonna you know I'm gonna have some regression here, and I don't really want to do that. And I say, look, I'm not asking you to do anything that you don't want to do, or anything that a doctor or a counselor wouldn't want you to do. Yeah. So I said, so you stick with what you think is working for you. I said, but but realistically, you know, your life is about learning. And I don't want you to have any regression, but if you if you think there are some things you can do that are going to make you stronger, uh, you know, emotionally, physically, whatever it is that are going to uh, help you resist, you know, temptation, I guess you could call it, you know, if you if you have an eating disorder or some other maybe kind of addiction or whatever, uh, you know, don't don't do anything to mess with your progress there, but always be looking for things that you can do uh, to make progress, yeah, you know, to, to get a little further along. I would love to have been there in the classroom when you put the slides up of the the famous athletes who have stuck to a, a similar diet and just you do the mic drop and say, what else you got? What other excuses do you have? Uh, have you ever done a mic drop? No, but I, but I, I wear one of those little tiny ones, so I don't know if it would be and that it doesn't, impressive. It's a little but, more awkward to like, uh, hold yeah. on, let me unhook this lapel mic first yeah. and then, yeah, anyway. But, so, but, but I'm going to try that, I think. Okay, yeah. there, there you go. Lapel, you'll be the first lapel mic dropper that we've ever had. Anyway, uh, we're also speaking with Mindy Lathan and Rebecca Freeman, and uh, I'm curious, do you think uh, Dr. Ron Hager is going to give you guys passing grades? I hope That's so. That's what I yeah. really want to know. Okay. How frustrating would that be? You do this four-week diet and then you fail the class. Interesting. That's not going to happen. I don't think he would have brought you on the show if he was planning on failing you. Uh, anyway, I wanted to uh, wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the changes that you are making in your lifestyle as a result of of this diet or just things that you've learned in Dr. Ron's class. Because I think for a lot of people – you know, we can do four weeks of a diet. You know, we can do a, a fruit smoothie diet or we can do a no carbs diet for a short amount of time. But it's really that stage of transition from from adopting certain things of that diet into your life and making permanent changes. So are there how how were you able to get to that point where you feel confident you can make some of those changes in your lifestyle? Let's start with Rebecca, you this time first. 
Well, I think for me, the biggest uh, problem was trying to learn what to cook. And so after that four-week period where I finally experimented and got that food down and, like, understand those cooking skills, I was able to think, okay, I can actually do this. And so after the four-week, I kept on doing the whole grain. I kept on adding vegetables to like as side dishes to my dinners and stuff like that. That's a really good point too. I think I think that's true for a lot of people. You know, they just they don't eat healthy because they either don't know how to cook or they feel like they don't have the time to cook. So that's good. That's a good it's uh, a good thing to recognize. Okay, how about you, Mindy? Um, for me, I just made a routine. So at the beginning of each day or the night before, I pack snacks for myself. I pack pepper and apples and bananas and all kinds of vegetables and fruits. And so that's a habit for me now that I can continue. And so I don't really think of it as a diet. I think of it as a health uh, lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle that I'm choosing to live. And then I incorporate more and more things. And that's included stress management for me because college can be really stressful. And so I've made sleep a priority. And that's pretty unique in college because a lot of students don't get a lot of sleep. And then stress management with relaxation exercises, taking care of my mental health, writing my journal. That has been really important. And then another part is um, the second part of the project that we needed to do was we chose something we wanted to change outside of our diet. And so I chose to eliminate my screen time, leisure time. Hmm. And so I noticed that I read more books. I was more active. And so it's just amazing to see how... If you change one habit, it, it builds your confidence to change other ones and have, you'll just have even more healthy habits. I love that you did that, Ron, where you – because I think a lot of people, when they're trying to improve their health, they get so obsessed and all they can think about is changing that one thing about themselves. But I think a lot of times there's really other – you know, there are underlying issues there too. So it's good to – to recognize some of those other things that, that you could improve on as well. So you've mentioned a few things already uh, that, that you've done. For, for people like me where I, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier where I said people, but I was really talking about myself, where you're, you're just trying all these different things. Nothing seems to stick. Nothing seems to work. So what are some things that I can do today, some small, simple things that I can do to head in the right direction to make some of these lifestyle changes that you're talking about? How about you, Mindy? Um, what worked for me was when I was beginning to adopt this new lifestyle, I wrote down all the reasons why I wanted to do it. And at first, I just thought about the superficial things, like maybe looking a little better um, or just feeling better about myself. But really, there were deeper things like wanting to have energy to have fun and serve other people. And when I'm a mother one day, I want to be able to have energy to play with my kids and a lot of things like that that gave me a deeper reason. And so when I was questioning if I wanted to keep doing this, I had that why that was really powerful. Interesting. Okay. And how about you, Rebecca? Um, I think for me, it was just becoming more conscious about how I lived. And so like part of it would be like, what are you having as a snack? Or like, what did you pack for lunch? And stuff like that. But um, also back to just the class in general. Um, so I live a little bit north of campus. And so it's like a half hour walk if I feel so inclined. Yeah. And so we actually have a shuttle that um, can pick us up and drop us off on campus and stuff like that. And so going through the class um, and the like physical activity portion of it, um, I just enjoyed going from campus back home, walking, enjoying that time, thinking to myself, maybe how to live a a little bit more brisk, not being so stressed about bus schedules and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's another great example of, of um, you know, 
there are other issues here. Like you're you're not only helping your health, but you're helping your mental and emotional health too. Because how many people are taking that thirty minutes or an hour each day to meditate and just think and not have the screen time? So these are this is a really good exercise, Doctor Hager, that kind of affects multiple aspects of your lives. Anything, uh, Doctor Hager, that you want to mention just to kind of wrap up the interview? I you know I may want to get uh, the the some recipes from you or a plan for this diet after the show. Well, the class is online. You could always just take the class, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the reason the reason I like having a couple of students come in once in a while uh, is, I, I mean, it's not so much so that, you know, I can pat myself on the back and say, look, I have some students who learned something, but it's more so that students can actually share, I mean, you know, so, some changes that have occurred in their life. I mean, that's what education is all about, you know, is to learn some things. And, you know, an indication of learning is that, you know, it makes a change, you know, that you have a change in your life. Um and so I like the idea of having some students come in. I think it does just bring a little credibility to the idea that change is possible because I can't tell you how many people I have met who uh, are struggling with their health and are looking for answers. But what, when they find out that the answer is to change their lifestyle, they say, well, what else you got? Yeah. You know? and, and so yeah. I, I, I like the idea of, of young people showing that uh, and telling their stories and, and showing how even at a young age – when you know people typically think they're invincible and don't have anything to worry about regarding their health, that they can make changes and they can do some things in a positive way that will impact them 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Well, Dr. Hager, you've done it again. Ron Hager is his name. He's our health evangelist. And we've also had Mindy Lathan here with us, a senior uh, majoring in exercise and wellness, as well as Rebecca Freeman, a junior majoring in exercise science. Thanks for being on the show, you guys. Thank you. Thanks so much. And good luck to you with those lifestyle changes. That's very admirable. I'm not kidding. I may look up that class online and start today. Well, maybe tomorrow because I was going to have some nachos for lunch. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Uh, Maybe Spencer and Jason or Spencer and Jerem. We're going to hold you in suspense. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. I keep saying that, but I really just say it to remind the guests that that he's not here, and so they don't call me Dr. Matt. But that would be flattering if they did, and I would forgive them. Spencer and Jason, I am uh, speaking with them today from BYU Sports Nation. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we are fantastic. How are you, Jeff? I'm, Dr. Jeff. I'm doing a lot better than Matt, let's just say that. Oh, is he sick? Yeah, I won't say why. Usually we give each other a hard time and we joke about the sicknesses that we have. But let's just say I'm not going to mention or joke about this one because it's one that I would never, ever want to happen to me. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm curious to know. This is kind of old news I just found out today, though. So did you hear about Tim Tebow hitting a home run in the minor leagues on his first at bat? Absolutely, I heard about that. Absolutely. Why wouldn't he do that? He's Tim Tebow. He's hit another one since then, too, I believe. Wow. That's pretty amazing. He's playing for the Cola, meaning Pensacola, Fireflies. Yeah, the Fireflies. Yes, thank you. Yes. But but does he Tebow after the home run? I I don't know. I have no idea. When he gets to home play? I don't know when the last time he has Tebowed, at least in public. 
So, needless to say, his minor league career is, is doing much better than Michael Jordan's did. Well, to this point, I'm not sure Jordan ever hit a home run. He did. Oh, he Michael did? Michael Jordan did hit a home run. Really? He was playing uh, for the Barons in double-A baseball. Yeah, the Birmingham Barons. Yeah. Hmm. Yep, Michael hit a home run at the double-A level and got some run with uh, the big club, I believe, in spring training. Yeah, if you've never seen the 30 for 30, Jordan rides the bus, it's fascinating. It's it's a really good – I mean, all the 30 for 30s are great, but that that one is certainly one that stands out. My favorite athlete that kind of went – just floated around different sports was Bo Jackson. Oh, yeah. Bo knows this. Bo knows that. Mm-hmm. Remember those ads? I, I used to have the, uh, the original T-shirt for that uh, that Nike put out back uh, in the – Early, early ni- late 80s, early 90s, I had the uh, Bo Nose shirt. That was everywhere. wonder what Bo is up to these days. He is – oh, let's see. I just saw something on him. Uh, he's, he's still very active in terms of like, uh, like, like being physical and things like that. He plays, still plays sports to this day even though his career was cut short because of, of injuries in football. But he's still a very active individual – and uh, he's he's kind of a businessman now, but for the life of me, I cannot remember the business that he's in. He lives in Chicago, though. I'm, you know, I'm glad he's doing well because, yeah, I, I was wondering if he was going to show up on late night TV like Bo knows bail bonds, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just completely cashing in yeah. on the no. Bonos. What, what's interesting is he, yeah, he is not a guy that seeks a lot of that yeah. limelight. Yeah, well, somebody else, uh, you know, branded him very well. If it wasn't him, then. Mm, yes. So, yes, Nike did a good job with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know what's coming up on your show, and I don't have to ask you if you're doing your show, because I know better. Yeah, p- please don't. Matt Townsend <laughs> takes care of that every day. And the answer is always, well, okay, I guess we'll do it. <laughs> on the show today, we're going to dive into this whole BYU annually in Las Vegas topic a little bit more. SB Nation Stephen Godfrey, the man who floated out the idea that BYU could potentially set up an annual game in Vegas at the new home of the Las Vegas Raiders NFL Stadium, is going to join us today. And we're going to grill him to see if he'll give up the name of his (laughs) Pac-12 athletic director that apparently he had this conversation with. No, I I believe he had the conversation, and we're not going to get the name, but we'll ask anyway. So kind of like when Matt asks you to give more than a tease and you guys never do. Yeah, something like, like that. Like you just okay. don't you don't want to you don't want to give up the goods, you know. We're going to tie we're going to dive into the pros and cons of this. Like is this something because on the surface I was like why would BYU not do this? It's an NFL stadium, it's Las Vegas, there's a huge alumni fan right. base down there. It makes it makes perfect sense. But there are two sides to this and we're going to talk about those. Okay, what else? We are going to Talk to Tatenda Sumba. Fastest man on campus. That's right, from men's track and field. He's going to join us in studio. So He's we'll... an Olympian. Are you an Olympian, Jeff? <laughs> um, l- uh, no. Okay, well, then you should listen to the show so you can taste what the Olympics are. Sean O'Neill like. says he's an Olympian, though. <laughs> I've Olympic, I've... Just by osmo, just by like literally sitting by him, that I will g- gain some speed and actually be faster. I'm just hoping that that I don't know if that's even possible, but I'm I'm gonna try and see if if I can actually run faster after just interviewing. Fastest man on campus. Also, we've got an announcement about a big <gasps> broadcast coming up. And and that announcement is Oh you gotta watch the show. Yes. <laughs> you know, sometimes I feel like an Olympian because 
it's it's a test of endurance to get through uh, the Matt Townsend show some days. <laughs> Not it has nothing to do with the segment where we talk to you guys, but uh, yeah. No, that's like crossing the finish line. Like that's that's oh, my the elation. Goodness. Yeah, three hours. Oh goodness! Well, good luck to you guys on your show today, and uh, I, oh, I'm a little disappointed that we didn't uh, spill any of the beans. But I guess we'll just have to tune in in five minutes and yes, eight seconds. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Again with the solid math. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Hey, have thanks, a great Jeff. show. Bye. Oh man, you guys are everybody's a bunch of teases today. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. I, I volunteered for the Olympics. You did? Yeah, in 2002. Really? Yeah. Oh, when it was here in Salt Lake? When it was Lake? here in Salt Lake, yeah. Did you get to meet Mitt Romney? No. no. <laughs> That's like one of those questions. Oh, you're from California. Do you know the such and such family? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, you met him, Terry? Oh, I see. Terry did not meet Mitt Romney, unfortunately. No, yeah. I met him. Oh, you did meet him. I did at he, the Olympics. I was uh, also volunteered, except they paid me. So that's not volunteer. Yeah, I know it was an internship. How's that? Okay. Yeah. So I was working at a for a TV company, and uh, it was the Meadows Plaza they had downtown, and Mitt Romney. Well, that first, would be an area he would be in, right? The first oh, yeah. couple nights he was running. He was like the MC. He was kind of in charge of things, sort of. And as he came through the backstage, I was checking microphones. He gave me this like stiff arm. Like, just kind of went, boom. I get, he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then he kept running up on stage. So he basically pushed me out of the way. Whoa. Beautiful hair, though. Maybe <laughs> maybe the he next just night, wanted to. The next night, Steve Young, same thing. <gasps> he there you go. gave me no. a forearm shiver because he was like, boom. There's just all these people, and he was moving fast and ran into me. I just kept getting ran into by famous people. I you were standing in the wrong place. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I think there are certain guys that have that competitive edge to them where they – they see somebody that looks like they might be physically threatening to them, so they want to see if they can right. push back. And I was wearing a big puffy coat. It was cold. <laughs> Everybody was. <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of Olympics, did you hear about this Super Bowl trophy? No. Wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. The Super Bowl trophy, uh, there was a uh, – the Super Bowl trophy's run-in with a deer was nearly as improbable as the New England, uh, New England Patriots come from behind win over the Atlanta Falcons. But it happened Friday night in Maine when a Patriots employee who had the Vince Lombardi trophy in his vehicle struck a deer in Fairfield. Team spokesman on Saturday confirmed the accident. James said the employee was unhurt and the trophy was unscathed. The trophy was on display Saturday at the Cross Insurance Center in Bangor, Maine, as scheduled it has been traveling around the region to give fans a chance to see mm-hmm. it. Yeah. State Trooper Tyler Maloon gave the team employee a ride after the accident and posted a photo of himself with the trophy on Facebook. Yeah. <sighs> Nothing to do with the Olympics, but still kind of interesting. Anyway, as you know, we like to end each show with our hero story of the day. And uh, today is another great one. A teacher's aide in... Uh, Mundelein, Illinois, is being lauded as a hero after she acted quickly Wednesday to save a kindergartner who was choking on his lunch. Jenny Remekis, an aide at Washington Early Learning Center, was with students eating lunch about 11.35 a.m. when she noticed the six-year-old boy struggling after he ate grapes and a bun. Principal Jim Calarius said, 
Remakis moved fast to perform the Heimlich maneuver, clearing the boy's airway and allowing him to breathe again, Calera said. He was later examined by a school nurse, and his parents were informed of what happened. We are very proud of our hero, Jenny Remakis, and believe that she should be commended for her heroic actions in the heat of the moment. Calaris wrote Wednesday in an email. Calaris said Remakis is in her first year at the school, but has worked in the district for about 16 years. So there you have it. Folks, that is one way that we can all be a hero, to just be ready to perform the Heimlich maneuver when we need to, because people do choke. It happens. 